the start of it. Okay. All right. Well, I guess uh, we can get right into it then. Start this fire. <laughs> How you doing, everybody? Welcome to Affliction Autos Podcast, episode 10. It's a big milestone for us. My name is Eric, and the other voice occupying your head this time is my sister, devoted mom, and co-host, <laughs> Stephanie. Yo. Thank you all. To uh, the listeners out there for joining us, Afflictionals is a monthly podcast where we mainly talk about films that range from mind-numbing to mind-blowing. Occasionally, we may also cover TV shows or other forms of media, like today. Uh, it goes without saying, we will be getting into spoilers here, and there will be only the healthiest amount of expletives tossed in. You have been warned. Now, if you ain't ready, then get ready, because in today's episode, winter is here everybody that's right we're talking about game of thrones yeah it is snowing in king's landing today hold the door and let's march on in (laughs) you know i always gotta throw out that little quick synopsis in there so game of thrones is about nine noble families who fight for control over the lands of westeros while an ancient enemy returns after being dormant for millennia I'm like super, super excited to talk about this episode. You know, we've been kind of hinting this uh, this episode for a long time. I, I think pretty much since episode one. Like, I think in every episode, at least like the first couple ones, we, we kind of hint that uh, we're going to be talking about a TV show here and there. And, um, well, I mean, you always say it in your little, in your little blurb. Mm-hmm. TV shows, yeah. But I feel like, You know, we kind of throw that out there just to cover our asses, (laughs) just to give us the option to talk about TV shows at some point. But I felt like we don't quote or like reference any other show more than Game of Thrones, I felt like. Yeah. And, you know, now it's time. It is. The time has come. This is quite the undertaking we're attempting here today, trying to fit the entire series into this one podcast can it be done should it be done right (laughs) well we're gonna do it will we survive that's the question yes i think it's gonna go pretty well all right so i wanted to just uh throw some some extra info out there before we jump right into the episodes so game of thrones this is a fantasy drama series which was created by D.B. Wise and David Benioff, um, specifically for HBO. Um, this is an adaption of the George R.R. R. Martin fantasy novel series, A Song of Ice and Fire, with the show borrowing its title from the very first book in the series called A Game of Thrones. Interesting note. Indeed. The Song of Ice and Fire series is still ongoing. <laughs> A Game right? of Thrones... The, the first novel in the series was released back in 1996. And hmm. the latest novel that actually uh, came out... Well, actually, you know, he's working on one right now, right? So that yeah, one is... Yeah, supposedly he's working on the last one. And, I mean, personally, I'm skeptical that it's going to be released before he dies. So I've heard two, two different things. So I've heard that this might be his last one. And I heard that this is the penultimate books so so? this novel is called the or it's going to be called the winds of winter who knows if he's going to change that by the time he actually releases the novel but it's still currently being written with no eta so um i also heard that if he (laughs) ever gets this one out 
um, the one that could potentially come after it is going to be called a dream of spring. But like you said, I'm very skeptical that he's even going to get this one out, but we'll see. I'm hoping that he'll at least get this one out and um, maybe, I don't know, like big, big fans of the the series or like his fellow author friends can kind of finish up the series for him. Maybe some family or something like that. Yeah, you know, yeah. I I mean, full disclosure, I read the first book, I want to say almost to the end. Nice. I actually um, did read it all the way through. Well, we, we've talked about this. I The part where I stopped, you claim, is in the second book. So maybe I did finish the first book and get into the second book before I got bored. But I have this problem where when and when it comes to fantasy books, I mean, I love fantasy. Don't get me wrong. All, like most of what I read is probably fantasy. But when there's too much description about A, traveling or B, battle strategy or war strategy, mm-hmm. it loses me. So there was some point in the book where it was basically. Um, is that just really boring to you? It is super boring to me. Like I just cannot, you know, get through it basically without <laughs> like falling asleep. So it was the, the scene where Rob is, you know, planning to go fight. Well, he's trying to, you know, he's trying to get his army together and go fight the Lannisters um, because they, is it because they killed? No. Do they find out they killed his dad while he's out there? Well, I think he's like marching out there to save his dad and then he gets killed. Right. So that's when he's like, nah, fuck that. We're going to kill all of them. I think so. I think that's how it goes down. Sam even, it was, I, I mostly even left it out of my notes because, so it's in season two. And so I'm, I don't know if it's book one or book two, but yeah, they're, they're basically like in a tent and it's like Catelyn and Rob and whoever else. Renly. Was, was Renly there? Yeah. Cause okay. he was, well, no, at some point, well, definitely at some point he's there because he's who gets killed by the shadow baby. And then Marjorie is free. Marjorie's oh, his th- wife. I'm thinking of Roos Bolton. Roos was there. He was, he was running with uh, Rob for a little bit. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, Anyway, yeah, and so I get to that part in the book, and it just lost me. Like you said earlier, um, we're going to be doing this episode a little bit differently than we normally do. So um, in order to be able to cover the entire series of this show without it being like 150 hours long, um, (laughs) we're going to be covering each season one by one and in chronological order, but we're going to be choosing our top events for each season. Yes. And you know, it's, it's going to be ranging from like things that we, we thought were the most impactful vital to the story or something that just really resonated with us. That really stuck with us, you know, and we, we really enjoyed. Yeah, exactly. And we felt like doing it this way. It'll keep us from spending too much time on the, the early seasons and then like force us to rush past the last few seasons to, to be able to get everything in on time. Yeah. I think that's, that's a good plan. Yeah. You know, we try to respect our audience's time by trying to make quality content to the best of our ability while also having fun with it, you know? Exactly. And of course, we won't be able to cover like every nook and cranny of the entire series, but we really did want to take our time revisiting this wondrous world again, because for many years, it really was some of the best storytelling and character development that at least I personally have ever seen or experienced on TV. 
it's interesting because for me, I want to say like, it is, yeah, it was pretty intense. It's uh, obviously, you know, it's that show kind of changed my view of TV. Has because it? okay for i mean up until that point no joke up until that point i would watch a show and i'm i'm sitting there watching a show i'm expecting you know the main character to prevail i'm expecting the you know like good to prevail the main character to to triumph and you know all that kind of you know cutesy happy all that stuff. weak shit yep and then at the end of season one the main character gets his head lopped off and that was the point at which I was like, okay, no more emotionally investing in anybody. <laughs> Do you think, though, that it, the show lost a lot of people because of that? They're just like, what the fuck is this? I'm not it's watching possible. this. I mean, it did kind of like mentally lose me for a while after that until I got used to it, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? <laughs> it kind of desensitized you? Yeah, it took, me, it took me a little bit to kind of like reconcile <laughs> with the fact that I'm, yeah, basically, I was just going to have to look at it differently than I normally looked at anything else that I ever watched. Right. At least you get to kind of mentally prepare yourself. And so, it was, yeah, kind of like the Game of Thrones and Walking Dead were the two shows that really made me realize, like, oh, you know, TV's kind of different now. Mm-hmm. Don't get too attached. <laughs> yes. Especially on this show, the Game yeah. of Thrones. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so... So season one. Well, before you get into that, um, I did also did want to add to that by saying that, um, you know, you didn't get to go through and watch the entire show, but I actually did. So this was something I before. You mean like back to back? Because I've seen the whole thing. Well, I'm talking like rewatching it. Oh, OK. Yeah, I didn't yeah. get to rewatch it. So, yeah, for, for me, I have to kind of rely on memory and. And just like what you read. Yeah. Yeah, I actually restarted watching it because I was curious with how I felt about the series when I first watched it and how disappointed I was, much like everyone else. I was curious to see if I would still enjoy it a second time around. So about like, I want to say maybe October of last year, I started rewatching the show and then I took a little bit of a break went on vacation in December. So uh, I I picked it back up in January and I was, I think it was probably like season, probably like season six. I picked up in January and I I got to finish it before we record this episode. And, you know, there were, there were still a lot of elements about the last two seasons that I didn't enjoy, but Mm -hmm. you know what? I felt like I was able to pick up on a lot more the second time around and I was able to enjoy the last two seasons for what they were, you know, they, yeah, they weren't kinda, the best by any means. I kind of agree with you. I kind of felt similarly. I mean, obviously I didn't get a chance to rewatch the whole thing, but when I did my, all my, you know, re rereading basic synopses or whatever, um, I did find that, it made me kind of want to rewatch it all together. Cause I feel like instead of, you know, waiting a year between each season and then kind of forgetting things and then trying to remember things, I feel like I would have appreciated it more if I could have seen the whole story from start to finish without a break in it. And I did catch more stuff and appreciate more stuff, even not even watching it, just, you know, just reading about it this time around than yeah. I did the first time I watched it. 
And, you know, the the seasons that engrossed us in the past, they still hold up. Like, the early seasons, like the first, like, one through six, I would say, those still hold up. And, (laughs) you know, we kind of treat... We wanted to treat this episode almost like a love letter to Game of Thrones because I want to remember it for the good rather than the bad. Yeah. So we're not talking about Joffrey at all then? (laughs) Well, you know, he was vital to the story. So... There were, there were definitely like some some uh, memorable bad. moments with that guy. Oh yeah, oh, but yeah. um, I don't know. Do you, should I start so that way I, we can kind of like and like every season maybe like we can kind of trade off like who goes first, sure to keep it fair. Okay, so season one, we're only talking about season one here, and we'll we'll let you know when we're going to be switching to different seasons. So the first event I want to bring up in season one, it's got to be episode one. Winter is coming. Because, you know, right. this is where they introduce everything. Like, they're they're kind of, they start building up that world. They're introducing you to the characters. Um, I mean, like, right out the gate, they introduce the White Walkers, you know, which are the overarching threat that persists until, like, the very last season. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they got they got some memorable moments, like Bran, uh, Bran Stark being paralyzed and nearly killed by being pushed out the window by Jamie Lannister. You know, the things we do for love. that line but um i the main reason why i want to remember episode one is because this is where daenerys marries cal drogo and receives her seemingly petrified and useless dragon eggs and you know this (laughs) is this is kind of like the beginning of this epic story for her so that's kind of why i want to bring it up that is true are you gonna go through all your points first or uh... no you know we can we can kind of like bounce back and forth because if you like if we choose similar similar events or yeah, similar we did. episodes yeah, definitely episode one like um like i told you earlier i just kind of wrote down everything that i thought was important and then kind of highlighted the stuff that s- seemed even more important the, the most important and i had two three things all in episode one of i think i had six i ended up having like six points bolded in in season one and episode one had three whole points that I thought were like the most important, but I guess, you know, that makes sense because it's introducing everything. Right. And so, like you said, we get introduced to the Stark family and exactly. like, okay, the main, the main characters, the main family, the Lannisters come to visit because um, Robert is making, asking them to be the hand. Right. And so the Lannisters come to obviously Robert's wife, Cersei and the, the what Lord commander of the, king's guard or whatever that's jamie mm-hmm. um so they all they all come together and then we find out that jamie and cersei are twins but they're also incestuous lovers mm-hmm. and i feel like you know i was thinking i feel like a lot would not even have happened if those two weren't in love with each other <laughs> you think so like you felt like they would have would have been a lot less crazy yeah, I mean, obviously they wouldn't have had kids together. You know, Bran never would have gotten paralyzed. Um, Robert probably would have had his own kids to be heir, and there wouldn't have been all this controversy once he did die. Especially when people start figuring out that his kids weren't his kids and they're not the heir. Mm, sure, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, definitely. So I feel like I feel like a lot of this stuff might have been avoided. I mean, obviously not the whole Daenerys thing because you know she was still coming, but. Yeah, I feel I feel like there's a decent amount that kind of might have been avoided if 
if that didn't happen. But oh, then, yeah. yeah, obviously, Bran gets pushed out the window, which, um, you know, sets sets kind of a sets up a chain reaction of events that do, doesn't really become important until the very last season. Because I feel like, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that I, you know, a lot of the, the Bran story points that I just kind of skipped over mm-hmm. until the very end when he, when, you know, he comes up with a bunch of useful information. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, definitely. So, yeah, with the White Walkers, mm-hmm. Bran getting pushed out the window, and the, the twin incest. <laughs> twin twincest. Twincest. My important points <laughs> of episode one. Nice, nice. <clears throat> yeah, I didn't think you were actually going to be, uh, like, listing your episodes as well. I, I thought that was just me. Uh, no, I, I I wouldn't know what the heck was going on if I didn't. <laughs> yeah, same here. That's why I did it. <laughs> yeah, and to explain to the, the audience... Um, you know, we're going to be bouncing back and forth with uh, our events that we chose for each season. And we are going to predictably, we're going to be choosing similar events. So I'm like, let's say if you bring it up first, I'll cross off my list. And then, you know, if I bring it up first, then you cross off your list. And then we just kind of combine it together. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, I also wanted to bring up episode four, Crippled's bastards and broken things because this is where the hand of the king ned stark has a strong suspicion about joffrey being king robert baratheon's legitimate son Mm -hmm. as there has supposedly never been a blonde baratheon from Mm -hmm. from what they explain and so he digs deeper and discovers that king robert does have an actual son a bastard son in gendry he seeks out finds him in flea bottom multiple yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, he, yeah, he, uh, this is the oldest, right? The I oldest so. of his illegitimate yeah. sons. So he finds him in Flea Bottom and notices that he looks a hell of a lot more like Robert than Joffrey does. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? It's also interesting to note that they both like using hammers as weapons. <laughs> I didn't Robert even notice and that. Gendry? Yeah. King Robert, like he used a warhammer when uh, he was during the Roberts Rebellion, and then Gendry also chooses a hammer when he fights in the later seasons. And, well, yeah, I mean, I guess that does make sense since he chooses to be to become a smith, mm-hmm. and you know they use a lot of hammers. Yep. Yeah, and yeah, that, that does make sense. <laughs> I felt like this episode, you know, this this really felt like it was the beginning of the end for Ned. It truly did. Yeah, yeah, and I I wrote down similarly actually. Um, Later on in episode six, when he really realizes for sure that Cersei's kids are not Roberts. Yeah. And then same episode, episode six. Okay. For me is when Daenerys realizes that fire cannot hurt her, that she's the true, you know, mother of dragons or whatever. And then she realizes, well, I mean, she's been realizing for a while that her, her brother's a little bitch, but, um, (laughs) when she lets him get killed like you you know you want your gold crown here's your gold crown and she just sits there and watches and she's like yeah it was a little little strange right and because you you felt like she would have been more emotional but you know what i don't i didn't think that was that crazy and you know i also have that well okay here's the thing here's the thing here's the thing though the thing with daenerys and and i guess i might as well out myself right now i'm going to be talking about how daenerys a lot of people were disappointed to see her basically lose her mind towards the end. But my argument is that she was crazy from the start and the signs are there. So this for me is sign number one. 
the thing with Daenerys is that most of the crap she does, most people would say, yeah, but they deserved it. Yeah, sure. They did deserve it, but that doesn't make it any less crazy. Yeah. Her brother totally deserved that, but it doesn't make it any less crazy the way she just sat there and watched it like nothing. It was a little concerning. You're like, huh? She must have been through some shit, you know, to really feel that way. Because up until then, she she actually did really love her brother. But you you get the sense that he just fucking kept digging his own grave because he, oh, he treated did. her like utter garbage every he single time they were together. And he was such a little bitch. <laughs> yeah, he was. Like that's the thing. Was like he was he, he was probably insanely insecure about himself because he kept trying to bring her down to make himself feel better about himself. That's you true. Know? And so, you know, she was, she was a, the younger naive sibling and, you know, she, she trusted Viserys. She, she thought, you know, you're my older brother. You're in charge of taking care of me. You know, what's best for me. And I trust you. And he was totally just like using her to, for his own gain. Mm-hmm. You, you really get a sense of how selfish she was and how much of a piece of shit. You know, he that, truly and was. that makes it that makes it all the more crazy that she just let him die like that. You know, her brother that she looked up to all her life and that she depended on and that she looked to for protection. And all of a sudden she's just like, yeah, you're gone. You're not you're no use to me anymore. Yeah. It's also on my list. Episode six, a golden crown. Um, I, I wrote down. Yeah. Cal Drogo kills Daenerys's bitter and jealous brother Viserys by pouring molten gold onto his mouth and face essentially giving him that golden crown that he so desperately wanted. And it was, you know, it was pretty awesome. It was very satisfying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't think there was a, a single person that felt bad for that guy. Nope. That was a hell of a way to go though. That was pretty creative on Cal Drogo's part. Yeah. Crazy. Awesome though. Definitely. So satisfying. I think that was like one of the first, like, holy shit moments of the show. Yeah. You're like, yeah. Damn. <laughs> Onto 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 my probably my biggest life changing holy shit moment in the show that changed my life. Okay, is episode nine. Do you have anything for episode seven or eight? Um, I do actually. So okay, I have, I have episode seven. You win or you die. So this is King Robert's deathbed, and he assigns Ned as the protector of the realm until a proper heir can assume the crown. And, you know, he, he writes it down on paper and everything is proof. The true heir, right? Mm-hmm. He writes and the so, true heir or so something? So Ned has, you know, he has the paper that, that was signed by King Robert saying like. Oh, yeah, because no, Robert says Joffrey. Robert says Joffrey. But Ned writes down the heir. I think King Robert was actually starting to believe Ned around this time because Ned was already telling him like, hey, I don't think that's your son, bro. And so I think that's when he's like, you know what? Like, I don't know what craziness is going on, but I trust you, Ned. So I think that's when he uh, he basically gives the power to him to like kind of mm-hmm. decide what happens. <clears throat> he's like, whether you decide to to accept Joffrey as the heir or you find someone else that's more suitable, I trust you. And so Ned thinks that this piece of paper is going to protect him. You know, he's he's walking around like, look, Robert signed this shit. I have the power now. But you know he doesn't do it in an asshole way. He's just saying like I'm gonna yeah, yeah. I'm gonna take care of the realm. I'm gonna take care of King's Landing, and I'm gonna do what's right for everyone. And so you know he trusts in Peter Baelish to gather up the guards to back him up. And as Ned confronts Cersei and Joffrey to strip them of their their crown, Baelish betrays Ned and sides with the Lannisters. He tells the guards to to arrest Ned, and Ned is locked up and sentenced to death. 
Yeah, actually, the, one of the things I wrote down for episode seven was Littlefinger sucks and continues to forever. I definitely wanted to bring it up because we I want to drive home the shit that Peter Baelish has done to the Starks because he's done some fucked up shit and he's going to do a lot and more then he later claims, on. And he claims to love Catelyn so much. Mm-hmm. Yep, and later loved, Sansa. He loved Catelyn and he loved Sansa. He was a fucking creeper Weirdo, to the max. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, go. Ned dies. Oh, shit. Oh, my goodness. I mean, up until this point in, in my head, he was the main character and he was going to last the whole show and then eventually prevail. He thought he was protected. Yeah. And then he dies. Not even at the end of season one. Not even the end. Yeah, you're right. That's true. Which is, I think that's something that they, they kind of carry throughout the, the later seasons is they have this like huge event that happens, but it's not even the season finale. It's always like that. The whole the whole show, the whole series does that. Almost has like a like a wrap up of after that major event. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, so the biggest event always happens in the penultimate episode and then and then the last episode just kind of does whatever wrap up it needs to do and then moves on. But obviously, you know, we we find out we start finding out a little bit about how sadistic Joffrey is. Mm-hmm. Um, Ned is executed in front of Sansa. Arya sees it too, doesn't she? She does, um, yeah. Yeah, and then... Sansa's, like, on stage with her, you know, like, yeah, bawling. Yeah. Arya is, like, standing on a statue, and she sees it from the crowd's perspective. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, my, my whole life, my whole world, you know, got flipped upside down after that. Um, yeah, but then... really fucked you up. <laughs> yeah, I've been scarred since. Did you say that you're considering stopping the show after that? No, actually, it's funny. I'll, I'll let you know the point that I considered... Stopping the show, it was not the Red Wedding, just so Ooh, you know. Okay, all right. <laughs> um, but it, it actually had to do with uh, other people, not the actual show itself. So I'll, I'll get into that once we, once we get Interesting. there. Interesting. So side characters. It's, no, my classmates. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah, m- just make sure you bring it up when, when oh, we yeah, get to I it. Will. Okay, so then in the last episode, well, we, we didn't really touch on this too much, but... Um, but Cal Drogo dies after he was wounded and Daenerys' dragons, the seemingly petrified dragon eggs, hatch. <laughs> yep. Episode 10, Fire and Blood. After accepting the, the witch's black magic ritual to save Cal Drogo, the witch essentially uses Daenerys' unborn baby as the sacrifice to save Drogo. Which doesn't work. <laughs> and Drogo is just like a shell of his former self. It's like it, it's like such a like be careful what you wish for moment. Yeah, it was crazy. So he just came back as like some zombie vegetable kind of thing. Yeah, he was. He's alive, but like barely. He's in a vegetative state. Can't move or anything. Can't eat hardly. And he's definitely not this like fierce warrior that you remember him being. Mm-hmm. And doesn't she say it? Doesn't the witch say at some point that she did that on purpose? Yeah, because she she I think she prophesied that if he had reached Westeros, he would have like laid waste to everything. Mm. And so he would have been like this plague that like just ruined the land or something. So she she took it upon herself to kind of stop that from happening. Yeah, and so she she kills him herself, right? Yeah. And then on his funeral, well, funeral Daenerys, pyre, you're, you're saying, yeah, Daenerys. I mean, yeah, Daenerys kills him. And then on his funeral pyre, she walks into it with the eggs, and then ends up coming out completely unscathed. She mercifully <laughs> she... kills Drogo by smothering him, uh, suffocating him. 
Yeah. And then I, I felt like in this in this uh, funeral pyre that she made for Drogo, I almost felt like she didn't know what was going to happen. And she was kind of suicidal. I felt like she w- was just like, I have nothing to live for. I lost my baby. I lost the love of my life. I know. I, I don't just know what die. she was hoping for. I don't know what she was hoping for, but she knew she wasn't going to die at that point because. Do you think so? I felt like she did. No, she did. She did because um, in 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 the episode where um, her brother gets killed, she realizes that fire can't hurt her. But how how did she know that? Don't ask me. So that that's why I'm thinking she was suicidal because she didn't. That was the big moment. Was you didn't know. You know, you keep hearing that like dra- dragons can't be hurt by fire. And that like the Targaryens have like this weird connection with dragons. And then I think this is when you finally see what that connection is. And that you're like, holy shit, are some Targaryens are like impervious to fire? What the fuck? I, I want to say this is when it, that's actually revealed. No, it's revealed earlier. I'm looking it up right now because, okay. So she puts, she, she actually reads somewhere or hears somewhere that you're supposed to put the dragon eggs in the fire. Okay. So she does. And, um... She's just trying to see if they're, you know, if they're real or if they'll hatch. Or well, she knows happens. they're real. I just don't think that she anyone hatched, knows like if they're going to actually hatch or not. Yeah. Um. So they, she, she accidentally touches the one of the hot eggs, and she doesn't get burned. But how how hot was it really? Like it could have it was in just the fire. Been, it could have just been warm. It was in the fire, and I think the the slave girl gets burned, but she doesn't. Oh, interesting. So what that would tell me was that, okay, she might be a little bit more resistant to it, but I wouldn't expect her to like stand in this fucking flame and just be completely fine. You know, yeah. you can just say like, maybe okay, she might know. not know, like, well, I don't know how, how much she would know how to what extent she would know because yeah. she would have heard the stories from her. Exactly. You know, and they, they allude the to it. You know, they allude to it like how, um, you know, they keep, they keep foreshadowing that uh, dragons can't be harmed by fire and you know, stuff like that. And so, and they consider themselves to be like human versions of dragons, essentially. So, uh, and that's why, you know, when, when Viserys dies with the, the molten gold that's poured on him and, you know, she even utters the words like he was no dragon because he, he died from like the, the hot gold. But honestly, like if you swallowed liquid gold, you would die too. Even like, no matter who the fuck you are. (laughs) <laughs> i i feel like she said that because she knew that fire wouldn't hurt her and that's why she was like he he's she was basically saying he was no dragon i what i am mm-hmm. well i i think she she felt that she, there was a good chance she was more more legitimate than he was you know mm-hmm. i wonder though because i mean he was part of the family why did the fire hurt him and not hurt well that's the thing is it's not everyone it's like the, a true dragon and he was just a uh... fucking weak weak piece of shit and he was only Targaryen by name, but not yeah. like a true prophesized Targaryens, like the legendary Targaryens that they talk about. He was just like, no, he's like a descendant. He's no one. Yeah. I don't think that that really, like, I don't think every single Targaryen had, had, a, had a relationship with dragons, you know? Um, I don't think they could all fight and they were all like these like crazy warriors or whatever and or in, su- superiorly intelligent. There was a lot of them, though. I th- maybe that's why they, the Targaryens themselves, chose to inbreed a lot, was because they mm-hmm. wanted to to keep that to keep all that, that in the family, that ability in the family. Yeah, they didn't want to dilute it essentially. So for the Targaryens, incest is not that weird. You know that that's more accepted. It's more normal. And for some of the Lannisters too, maybe that's why it was not super weird once you know Daenerys and Jon found out that they were aunt and nephew. Exactly. Yeah. This is. This is like a highly intelligent race or, or like 
breed of humans that believes that incest is is not wrong you know so um you know it's who's to say that maybe that didn't kind of attribute to them having these like weird supernatural abilities essentially like being able to withstand fire exactly that's that's like a byproduct of it right is like you're fucking crazy and that's the targaryens also had that that reputation they had a lot of fucking psychos in the family they sure did yep and that was that was something that daenerys had to have held over her head all the time was like you know your your dad was fucking crazy the mad king this the mad king that and um i think she she idolized her brother a lot, Rhaegar. I don't know if she knew him for too long. Like maybe – it felt like there was a little bit of a gap between like maybe Rhaegar and Viserys. So I, I don't think like Daenerys was, was like that close to Rhaegar. But it seemed like she definitely was old enough to remember a lot about Rhaegar. And it seemed like he was he was a, a badass motherfucker. You know, At least that's what, yeah. what sense I got. I agree. And he also wasn't crazy. So I don't know. Or at least – he didn't live long enough to seem like he was crazy. Wasn't he? He wasn't he part of the King's Guard or something? Um, was he? He was the one that. So he, I think he was the one that really sparked that huge change. He was the he started Robert's rebellion because he stole the the wife, wasn't it? He or he? Rihanna. So yeah, yeah. Are we talking Rob, about King Robert. Before he was king, he was he was set to wed Le- uh, uh, Lyanna Stark. Yeah, yeah. It 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 seemed like at least from the outside perspective that Rhaegar, it was either like um, he went crazy and like just like stole Lyanna and like felt like he, that he he left her instead, or that maybe he was just being like kind of um, selfish and he wanted everyone you know for himself. Mm. But then you know it's it's like revealed later that that wasn't the case. Yeah. So, yeah. Do you want to start season two? I suppose so. Well, actually, the season two starts off, um, in my opinion, pretty slow. Well, I mean, you don't have to choose the first episode if you didn't like it. You can just choose whatever event okay, you, so you want I to start actually, with. Okay, so I actually didn't think it started getting really important until, like, episode... Well, there was one one part in episode two, and then I, I don't even write anything down. Oh, I don't bold anything until, like, mm. episode six or something, so... Um, episode two, we find out that the White Walkers are taking babies. Mm. I also wrote down this episode, yeah. Yeah. And we find out later that they only take male babies, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, which is, so, so this is this is crazy too, because this is that uh he's not a wildling, right? He but he lives north of the wall. Is that what I'm understanding? Or is he considered a wildling? Who? Um the guy uh, what's what's his name? He's the one that like has all the his daughters as wives. Exactly, yeah. So they all the males are gone, like all the sons are gone, but he keeps the daughters, and then he has babies with his daughters to have and more then if babies. Boys, he gives them to the White Walkers, and if they're girls, he makes them wives. Mm-hmm. Yep. Just super creepy. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's essentially I think that's like the first town the Night Watch are able to reach once they go north yeah. of the Wall. So that's always a, like a pit stop for them. They always stop by there. He takes care of them. He shelters them. And then they can continue their journey. That's true. So that's and why they want to keep that relationship with him. I want to say his name was Caster. Caster's key for her. Something like that. So that was fun. Um, a little weird. Mm-hmm. 
That was a weird town. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's just one family. Yeah. <laughs> essentially. It's like all, all kinds of weird incest also. What is up with this series and incest? Um, <laughs> That's I probably why that. a lot of people dropped off too is once they start finding all that out, they're like, oh, I can't, I can't do it. <laughs> yeah. It's a little bit weird for some people, I think. Um, so uh, other things I write down, just, just to touch on them, like, you know, Marjorie and Brienne are introduced and I always liked them. So I, I noted that um, Theon betrays the Starks. Joffrey's a sadistic little shit and the shadow baby. Yeah. I've always thought, you know, the whole Melisandre thing was super weird and like not wholly necessary. I mean, hmm. what ended up being her point, except she brought John back at some point, like everything she did just kind of led up to her bringing back John. I, I felt like she did bring a lot of mystique to the show though, because you're like, not a lot is known about Melisandre and you're just like, who the fuck are these like, these red witches, you know, and like they all kind of look that way. That's like yeah, their that's thing. Yeah, that's true. Uh huh. And they they come from like a distant land, so I think uh, it says that she she comes from like the far end of Essos. Okay. I forget uh, where exactly, but apparently it's like this weird, like shadowy place, and everyone believes it to have like a lot of um, like supernatural shit going on there. Like there's like a lot of witchcraft and whatnot going on there. Yeah. Yeah, this was definitely a trip episode for me. Um, this is where, yeah, Stannis tries to produce a male heir with Melisandre because his wife, Selyse, is unable to produce one with him. And this leads to Melisandre getting pregnant, but something is really weird because it's, like, developing really quickly in her, yeah, her like stomach. like, in an episode? Um, eventually, this leads to her giving birth to a shadow baby that kills Stannis's brother and challenger to the throne, Renly Baratheon. And that was a fucking crazy scene to watch. To which everybody who was watching the show at the time breathed a collective, what the fuck? Yeah. Especially Davos, because he was there. He saw the whole thing. <laughs> he had like a front row seat to it. <laughs> <laughs> that must have been fun. I forget that, because, you know, later on in the, the seasons, he like has this real disdain for her. But like, man, he's he's been through some shit with her. I oh forgot my goodness, that, yeah. you know, he was there for that. Yeah. He's, he's definitely been through some stuff for sure. That shadow baby actually kills Renly and then just disappears. Cause the shadow baby never comes back. I felt like, because that was some dark magic shit too. And that was when, um, yeah. in actually in episode four, that's when, uh, she gives birth to the, the shadow creature that kills Renly. And I, I want to say that's like a one-off thing. So I think that was her whole purpose for getting pregnant essentially was to, to um, feed this dark magic. And that mm. was her, her weapon that she used to kill Renly. She was like, okay, Stannis, if you want to get rid of your, your uh, little bro. Yeah. Which, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily think that did Stannis actually want to kill Renly or did he want to just like take him out of the running? I don't think so. I don't think he actually wanted to kill him. But... I didn't think he was that heartless, but you know, no, he was not, he's pretty bitter about a lot of things. Um, I have season or season. I have episode six. Do you have anything before that? I did actually. Um, okay. I had a, you know, where Arya say, what's his name? Jockin. Jockin Hagar. 
yeah, that guy. She, she saves him and gets three lives in exchange. And so I was like, well, that's important because that was fucking sets cool. Up, I want to say because he's like this dope assassin. Yeah, and so she she sets she sets up um, a lot of her development in the future because for a while, like Arya is just kind of traveling around trying to survive and not doing much. Right. She really finds her own when she trains with him and gains all the skills that she needs to go exact her own revenge. Before she kind of, you know, sails off into the unknown at the end of the show. Right, right. This Jock and Hagar guy, he, there's something mysterious about him. Like, you, you don't know how he does it, but he always he always finds a way to take people out. Yes. There's so, something likable about him, you know? Like, you yeah, knew that... Yeah, I agree. He wasn't malicious towards at least the main characters. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, she... He was... I kind of thought of him as like a, a death genie. Mm-hmm. You get three wishes... And like you tell you me who you want to kill. Lives. <laughs> so I want to bring up episode six, the old gods and the new, because if nothing else, this is where my girl Egret gets introduced. Oh my God. And for the longest time, I felt like there was just no other female character that was as strong as she was or as interesting as she was. I felt like, you know, Daenerys is off in Essos doing her thing, but... I felt like she was she didn't actually start gaining like any noticeable power, you know, like strength, self strength uh-huh. until uh-huh. the later seasons. So I felt like yeah. in in this uh episode Egret is introduced, she's a a wildling that the Night's Watch captures, you know, and John is um he's kind of in charge of like personally like watching over her. And I think yeah. at some point the, the night's watch, they get separated. So it's just Egret and John kind of by themselves. Right. This is when you start seeing like how witty uh, Egret is. And she, she kind of flirts with John a little bit. She's like, you know, you're kind of cute, you know, type of thing, but you're still a crow. So you're kind of a piece of shit. Cause to, yeah. to the, the wildlings, the night's watch are just like, they're assholes. Right. That's. I just wanted to give a shout out to my girl Egret because she, even till the end of the the show, Egret was still one of my favorite characters. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she's cool and stuff, but like, I guess I didn't really feel like she had much of a purpose. Um, but now that you mention it, I guess she her purpose could have been to soften um, John's view of the wildlings, hmm. so that they could eventually form an alliance. Yeah, he almost started to get personally invested. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's it's that tireless story of like how opposites attract, you know, because John is like really respectful, serious and honorable. And, you know, she's like she's like she's kind of a, this free spirit and she's really talkative, outgoing, outspoken. Right. John's like really stoic all the time. And so they were mm-hmm. really like opposites. And yeah. And I think to this day. At least the way that they the showrunners developed the relationships, I felt like that was one of the the best relationships that they produced on the show. Yeah, I did. I did enjoy their relationship. It was fun and stuff. But that's kind of how how I looked. The only way I looked at it for a long time. She helped build a lot of confidence in himself. Yeah, that's you true. know he he was always kind of questioning his abilities. Like he maybe he always felt that he was just second best to rob like he can never he measure just, up to rob he was just a bastard mm-hmm. yeah he never he thought highly bastard. of himself and and eager was like who the fuck cares what they think like you know like you you make your own destiny type of thing yeah what you get theon i literally wrote this down verbatim theon the little shit takes winterfell the little shit dude such <laughs> a such a fucking like piece of shit move from theon right no yeah so i was thinking like um Maybe in Theon's head, 
Like he did consider them family to an extent, Mm -hmm. but at the same time in, you know, in the back of his head, he knew what he was to them and he wanted vengeance in a way. I felt like he was manipulated into thinking that once he got home because his dad was like, he's like, you look at you, you're a fucking Stark now, you know, like they they made you soft. And so he had to kind of prove himself to his father again. I agree. But still, that, that wasn't the right way. No. So I have episode eight, The Prince of Winterfell. Do you have this down? I have I have something in episode eight written down, yes. Possibly? Okay. <laughs> so the what I wanted to touch on with this one, man, this is uh, the start of a, a very big mistake. Um, Rob is already, you know, he's been made king of the north and he's like out for blood. He's marching towards King's Landing and he's like, I'm about to fuck people up. And along mm-hmm. the way, he had to strike this deal at the Twins in order to cross that bridge, that river, he needed to strike a deal with Walder Frey to marry mm-hmm. one of his daughters. And so Rob's like, all right, fine. You know, if you'll let us pass, I'll marry one of your fucking daughters when I get back. <laughs> and, um, you know, the I think the joke is that, like, the, the Freys are just, like, inherently just hideous. Like, they're all just yeah. – they look like goblins, essentially, you know? <laughs> and um, so, like, I think it's made out to be that Rob is, like, this this heartthrob. He's, like, really handsome and, you know, all the, the girls would want to go for him. So he looks at the girls and he's just like, oof, you know, like, this is slim pickings. But, you know, I'll, I'll decide that when I when it comes to yeah. it. Yeah, they're all trying to, like, bat their eyes at him. <laughs> trying to win him over. I mean, did you ever think that Rob was, was like, one of the more attractive ones on the show? Or you're like, not really? Yeah. No, I did. I, okay. I mean, I wasn't. That's not what I was like exactly watching the show for. <laughs> so the reason I why I bring up this episode is because all that is to lead up to Rob running into this this medic from Volantis, Talisa mm-hmm. Mager. She's out there and, you know, she's, she's just kind of like a neutral party. Like, I don't think she's like for either side, but, you know, she's she's doing what she, what she can and she's patching people up. So she right now she's helping uh, Rob's troops, right? Yes. And so she I don't know if she necessarily has like a stake in either side, but she's just like, you know, doctors are needed and here I am. So, mm-hmm. um, so she's like patching people up. And I think Rob, you know, he... Rob starts taking a shine to her. Yeah, immediately. Like, he sees her, and he's just like, damn, like, she's... And yeah, I agree. That was the the start of a, a huge mistake. That was the beginning of the end for oh, yeah. Rob. So there was there was almost like a definitive moment for Ned and for Rob, which is kind of funny. Like, father, like son, right? Yeah. And it's funny because Sansa actually touches on that way later. I want to say the last season. And John is doing stuff, and Sansa's kind of disagreeing. And Sansa's like, "I don't want you to make the same mistakes that my brothers did, that, or the men that Rob and yeah, yeah, the men in my family have done." Yeah, I remember that line. All right, your turn. Oh, okay. So this was this was kind of just for me, and not necessarily a super important, you know, part of the show. It's more for these people's development, but. Um, was it when was it when Rob's gone or something? Catelyn makes a deal to trade Jamie for Sansa and Arya, and Brienne is taking Jamie to King's Landing to trade for Sansa and Arya. Mm, right, and that is this whole start of the whole Brienne and Jamie thing. And I feel like Brienne kind of she's she's badass first of all, but I feel like she kind of brought out the best in Jamie, like what little good there was in Jamie. You know what I mean? Because up until this point, he was he was firmly a villain of the show. He was an antagonist. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then they started, you know, 
creating a little relationship and even defending each other and protecting each other you know eventually like their their relationship kind of lasts till the end and then he makes a classic jamie move and leaves he totally should have stayed with her if he wanted any sort of future and (laughs) he ditches her to go die with his evil twin sister yeah so dumb yeah i definitely have something to say about that when we get to it yeah. So th- that's when they that's when uh, their kind of uh, relationship begins as uh, in yes. this episode. Is this episode nine or eight? Eight. OK. And honestly, that was the last thing that I bolded for the rest of the season. No way. OK. <laughs> I, I have one more for this season. <clears throat> episode nine, Blackwater. So I wanted to bring this up because this is this is like a big deviation from the show. So this is the, the big battle of Blackwater Bay mm-hmm. that happens by King's Landing. With the wildfire? Yes. So this was, I think that was a strategy that Tyrion came up with, right? Wasn't he the one that like, what what the fuck is this green shit down here? And he asked Cersei and Cersei's like, well, you know, it's that old wildfire that they made back in the day and I just had them keep making it. So like, he's like, fuck, we should use this. And so this is our first glimpse of what wildfire is. And it's fucking badass. Like, it's like, it is. it's like more effective than a bomb, right? Because it, it just continues burning, like just as hot hours later, it seems like. Yeah, it's yeah, it doesn't go out easy. It's very, very hot. And it's cool because it's green. It's like bright and green. green. And so you definitely notice it when whenever anyone uses wildfire. Is this this is a Stannis's fleet, right? That's assaulting King's Landing. I believe so, yeah. Okay. So this is like Stannis's first big defeat when in in his pursuit of the the throne. And so he gets uh his troops essentially get wiped out with this wildfire. They I think they some some of the ships reach the shore and so they start charging the gates and mm-hmm. um the hound Sandor Clegane is kind of isn't he in charge of the troops and so he's supposed to lead the charge but I think Sandor's like fuck this and he just bounces right yeah he, because he's afraid of the fire yeah because he because of his know, that's injury why his face is all messed up mm-hmm. is because he was burned when he was young so I think there's two reasons so there's the fire which he's just like you know he, he he's really has some PTSD when it comes to fire because his older brother Definitely. the mountain like held his face or whatever in fire. And so he, his face got all fucked up. So that's reason one. But I think also two, he realized that he doesn't want to lose his life for Joffrey. He's like, who the fuck is this kid? I'm not dying for this kid, you know? And so that's when he just like says, I'm out and goes AWOL, you know, like he abandons his post. So um, you think that like, man, I think Stannis's troops are still going to take King's Landing somehow. Until Tyrion, you know, he steps up because everyone always underestimates him. He -hmm. stands up and he's just like, you know what? Like, if no one's going to lead the charge, I guess I have to do it because I don't want King's Landing to fall either. And so everyone, you know, the troops are just kind of like they they're in shock. You know, Tyrion, like he he uh, arms himself and he uh, leads the charge out there. And, you know, he doesn't really do much, but I think he his like pep talk and his his show of courage was enough to get the uh, the red cloaks like amped up and uh, they're able to, you know, fight to the best of their ability. And this is where Tyrion gets that injury to his face. So he's supposed to get his nose cut off. Right. That's how it's described in the books. He's supposed to be like hideous after this fight. So he get, he's supposed to get his nose cut off, but in the show he just gets slashed across his face. And so he has that, like that scar. Yeah. And I feel like that's, that's when Tyrion, you know, starts um, 
he starts gaining some some valuable life experience there Mm -hmm. exactly yeah because he had to really i think he proved to himself how courageous he can be too because he he knew that he was intelligent but i don't know if he knew how courageous he truly was until this moment and he he rose to the occasion you know and like i said he didn't really contribute much to the battle but i think um just him proving to himself how courageous he can be, that's going to lead him to to continue being courageous later on the show. I agree. And I'm totally going to touch on that again later. But I did want to mention, yeah, I wrote down actually, you know, the whole, the whole battle with the wildfire and everything. And I was like, who really won in that? I don't feel like there was really... I think Stannis definitely lost because he didn't take King's Landing. But, you know, there was definitely a lot of casualties on both sides. Yeah, I don't feel like either of them really got anywhere. You know, they kind of ended at the same place that they started. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, I did want to mention because we we continue um, Daenerys's development too, and but she she goes to she takes who who's left right who's left to follow her or whatever. Not that many people like some. Oh yeah, yeah. Because the Dothraki troops, I think, once the cow leaves then the, the the troops go find a different cow to follow, like a stronger one. Because it's all always about strength for them. I can't remember what it's called, but she always ends up, she ends up in that weird city in the desert that's led by those super creepy dudes. Well, anyway, the, the important thing is that at some point they steal her dragons. The guy, the, the one of the 13, what's his name, Zaro? And he's trying to, he eventually tries to overthrow everybody and become the leader. And in the end, she's able to lock him into the vault with i think he she finds i want to say astapor was like she locks two people in this vault yeah Mm -hmm. she locks two people in the vault she gets her dragons back locks them in the vault in retribution and i'm thinking like that is so like obviously he deserves it again he he deserves it yeah but it was also pretty dang messed up because first of all they're going to starve to death in there and second of all they're going to have to eat each other before they eventually starve to death in there yeah, I, I want to say I don't know if I could if I could defend that one for her because that's a really fucked up way to go out. Exactly. I, I know that I know that she wanted to like they deserve it, but yeah, like she she wanted it to be crazy. like almost like a a poetic ending for them because like that's what they they kind of tricked people with was that vault and there was nothing yeah. in it, right? Yeah. And so she's like, well, it, since this was how you always tricked people, this is what's gonna end up killing you. But yep. um, yeah, I think in the end she probably should have just like beheaded them, them or hanged yeah. them or something you know yeah i was I, I, I thought that was pretty pretty dang weird we move on to season three season three so do you want to start this one or do you want me to start i have episode two yeah me too actually Ooh. dark wings and dark words i um this is where bran and, and crew meet up with what's his name jojen isn't that isn't that what it is jojen and Yara, and, uh, i think he, no not that's a uh, theon sister jojen and uh dang what is her name Maybe it's Mira, Mira. I think that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. So I just wrote down, Bran gets a teacher. <laughs> so that's cool. Yeah, and he gets somebody that he, you know, he can start developing. His yeah, is he warging by this time? Important. Yeah, he's warging by that. No, is Bran? No, I don't think Bran's warging oh, by he, then. But he sees he, what warging is for the visions. first time. I think they're also, they kind of foreshadow because um, he has these dreams that he's like seeing stuff from like a wolf's perspective. But you don't you don't realize that that's him warging into, into summer. Yeah. Yeah, he just doesn't know. He, you know, he develops that skill, obviously. And then um, I didn't actually bold this, but just to point out, just that Theon, you know, we start seeing the the Theon transition to Reek mm. situation. Um, he's uh, captured by Ramsay at that point, but he doesn't 
you know, he doesn't know. He just knows he's captured and he's tortured. And one interesting thing to point out is that the the way they had to do it in the show kind of ruins the way it happens in the book. Oh. I, didn't, I haven't read it, obviously, but... Um, what I what I heard from people who have read the series up to you know the current point is that you just get at some point in the book you just get introduced to a new character and that character's name is Reek. So that's an entirely different character. No, you think it's an entirely different character, and you eventually find oh, out. Oh, that's cool. That yeah. is Theon. Well, obviously right? you can't do that in the show because you're like, I see who this guy is. Exactly. Yeah. So they couldn't. They couldn't do that big right. reveal like in the book. It would, it would just show. be impossible to do, like unless he wore like a mask or something, you know. Yeah, or like they just had it, you know, from his point of view for a yeah. really long time until he eventually something like that. Yeah. So that's so that that was episode yeah, two. Yeah, I I definitely brought this episode up because man, this is yeah, this is when Theon gets captured and is tortured by unknown captors, and man, he gets fucked up. He sure does. Many times, actually. So um, yeah. it's, these are the, uh, Boltons, right? Because he's actually strapped to like that X, almost like a crucifix, yes. but it's like in the shape of an X. And so that's the, the flayed man is the, the sigil for house Bolton because they always torture people on that X. <clears throat> and so right. that house Bolton is just like notorious for their, their, uh, torture methods. So, you know, he's being tortured and you don't, you don't really know, at least for the audience, I feel like. Um, that hasn't read the books like at this point you don't know that's the boltons you just think like it's like some weird motherfuckers that are just like torturing him for their own pleasure and you know you see that he's strapped to an x but you don't understand what that means not yet anyway yeah and then eventually yeah yeah, that does lead up to um someone kind of taking pity on him and freeing him leading him out to essentially lock him back up because that's just like the game this guy wants to play. Exactly. It's just all a mind. And who's fuck. this motherfucker? The sick motherfucker? Ramsey Bolton. Ramsey Bolton. Well, I guess Ramsey it was he Ramsey Snow at the, is he Snow at the time? Yeah, yes, he's yeah. So he's a snow. Yeah, he doesn't he doesn't become a Bolton until way later. So Ramsey Snow. Right now, the most hated character in the show is Joffrey. Hands down, Joffrey. right? Yeah. But it's interesting yeah. because there's a handoff at some point. And where Ramsey becomes the main villain, and I, I just love Ramsey as the villain. Oh, I didn't even think about that. And he's such a great actor mm-hmm. too. Actually, he's he he's in a British show that I really liked, and oh my, for the life of me, I can't remember right now. But he plays a totally different character <laughs> in this British show, and oh, I love him in that show. He's such a good actor. Mm-hmm. He is. He he emotes really well, and he plays crazy really well. Oh, it's the Misfits. It's the Misfits. Oh, okay. Gotcha. So, I also have episode three. Do you have episode three? Yes. Mm, okay. We we are introduced to the Unsullied and yeah, Miss Andy. This is this is really cool because this is when Daenerys actually starts to gain some power, like some she does, real. Yeah, she power. starts gaining some traction, and she does it in a crazy way because her dragons right now are like really tiny. They're like smaller than a house cat, and so they can't really do yeah. much, right? But you you know damn well that like if these these guys get bigger, they're gonna wreck stuff. So right now yeah. she can't really use them as weapons. So she's still kind of and you know she only has like a couple of like um, Dothraki with her, but mostly like women and children. So she doesn't really have like warriors on her side. Yeah. But um, and you know that last town that she went to Astapor, right, with the the vault. Yeah. Um. They they had nothing. Like it's like this. That whole city is 
one giant a mirage. They it seems grand from the outside, and everyone dresses nice, and they they act like there's a lot of shit that they can offer. But when it comes down to it, they didn't have anything. She wants to gain enough power so that way she can leave Slaver's Bay and make it to Westeros. So you know she's still far from that at this point. Oh yeah. She eventually gets to um. The, what town is this one now? I think this, this is Yunkai. Now, yeah. now she gets to Yunkai, and this is where she's introduced to the Unsullied, which yes. are just like these badass, well-trained warriors. I I kind of think of them like I think of Yunkai as almost like this military state where all they their main export is like soldiers, right? Right. They, they produce these these like just fearless emotionless soldiers that just get shit done so and they also happen to have a slave problem they're essentially just slaves like they they <laughs> are like sold to whoever the highest bidder is and then they have to do whatever that person tells them i guess i should say a slaver problem i'm making it sound like the slaves are the problem <laughs> they have a slavers slaver yeah <laughs> so this is when you really start getting a sense of like how how many slavers there are Right. Because there are a yeah. lot of uh, like high, like really wealthy slavers here. Yes. And they control the Unsullied. So how does Daenerys go about gaining the Unsullied? She tries to buy an army of Unsullied by trading stuff, including one of her dragons. And she also wants to buy Missandei because she's uh, she's a good translator and stuff. But another big thing is that we get a little character development in Jamie when he loses his hand, which was basically his whole identity. This was another like holy shit moment because yeah. it just comes out of nowhere. Like Jamie, and he's and he's protecting Brienne to at the time gets his whole hand cut off. You start seeing like this this other side to Jamie. Yeah, because she was about side. to get, she was about to get raped, mm-hmm. and then Jamie stops it, and um and yeah, and then the dude cuts off his hand, and of course he starts spiraling because that was his fighting hand, and that's basically his whole identity is you know his ability to fight. This was such a crazy scene to me because the the way they set it up is they're like at night in at this campfire and Jamie and Bran are like bound to a, a different trees, right? Like tree trunks. I think that don't they make don't they make Brienne get in a dress or something like that? I don't know. I don't know if it went. And they're trying to and they're starting to. I feel like I feel like that that was that part. And then they're starting to find out about her um her family in Tarth, right? Yeah. So, yeah, well, I think um, she doesn't bring it up. Jamie brings it up because he's like trying to like talk his way out of it, and he's like, he's like, dude, do you know who she is? Like, if you harm her in any way, you're you're not going to be able to take advantage of like the the jewels or something that Tarth can provide because she's like, she's a uh, the daughter of like a was it like a highborn or something over in uh, Tarth, yeah. and so like they, yeah. they have like like just an ocean of jewels, you know, that would make you all of you guys rich. And so yeah. they're just they're just kind of I like how they they like toy with the idea, making it seem like yeah, you know, like Jamie's is Jamie really gonna talk his way out of this? Because he's always known for having that silver tongue, and he's like he's really witty, and um, I feel like he's always had his way, which is yeah, he's very charismatic. That really works against him in this episode because they oh, yes. they all know who he is, and they know that he's like this spoiled rich kid that like always got his way, and he's like. You ain't getting your way this time, and so they like they like make it seem like they're freeing him, and they're like, "Are you are you uh, hungry too?" And he's like, "Yeah, man, I'm 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 really hungry. Like, I could I could go for some food right now." He's like, "Yeah, yeah, Just sit down over here, and then we'll get you some food. Are you? Is there anything else you need?" And they're man, he should have been like. He, he should, you know, red, 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 red flag, should have been red flags around, but serious, like serious red flag. they're really buttering him up, getting him to drop his guard. And then out of nowhere, 
they just like hold him down and then they just chop his arm off and that's the end of the episode in a split second it takes a second for him to realize because he's in shock but so he like lifts up his arm and like from his from like mid forearm down is gone and he's just like and then the scene just ends (laughs) what the fuck they really cut off his arm right now holy shit yeah, that was that was a dope episode. Yeah, I, I was like, oh, that just happened. Yep, <laughs> that definitely that just, just happened. happened. And there's no talking your way out of that. Nope. <laughs> yeah, he he couldn't talk that hand back on. And you know, what also happened episode five. Dang, what about episode four? Do you have episode four? Yeah, that's where Daenerys, uh, you know, makes her big reveal, her her Ooh, trick. Ooh, okay. Yes, so she 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 gets her she gets her army of unsullied. She kills all the slavers. And then, you know, obviously she gets her, her stuff back and then frees the army, frees the Unsullied. You're not slaves anymore, mm-hmm. you, but you can choose to fight for me or you can go free. And they choose to fight for her. That's awesome. Yeah, I think they. Damn. Th- this is the first time they actually get to think for themselves. And, yes. you know, that's I felt like that was a that was a big choice for them. They could have just ran away and stopped fighting. But you know what? In a way, they understand that this is kind of what they are now. There's no going back. Like they're just these, they're born to just fight and they're good at fighting. And so if they're going to fight for anyone, they might as well fight for her. Yeah. So here's the thing about that though. First of all, just killing all of the slavers was a crazy ass thing to do. (laughs) It was a crazy ass thing to do, but it doesn't, it also doesn't work. And she keeps getting word that Yunkai and whatever other place it is that I can't remember. They, they keep reverting back to slavery over and over and then they go back and they kill the slavers again and then they revert back to slavery so it's all kind of crazy right is this also around the time <laughs> that she runs into dario naharis eventually i want to say it's the beginning of the next season but the through the next two or three yeah through the net all the way i want to say through season five basically until she leaves marine she's dealing with this this craziness of they're like roaches of yeah of, of them reverting back to slavery and of her trying to like stamp it down yeah and it's not freaking working. It's not freaking working. I loved this season. So I I only chose like four or five events per season. But man, this one was really tough. That's why I didn't choose episode four is because right. there was just, you know how I feel about Egret. So I had to choose episode five, Kissed by Fire. And this is the infamous cave scene. Yes, I actually wrote down, this is what I wrote down, ready? Mm-hmm. John and Egret totally get it on on the show and in real life Mm -hmm. this is yeah this is like what leads to them actually getting together huh is because they work so closely with each other and so this is i want to say this is also why i felt like this is one of the best relationships that were developed on the show was because this is like a romantic scene that i think is still at the top out of like all the ones on the show this is like up there this has to be like one or two this was like one of those hot scenes where you're just like, damn, you know, like, all right, two attractive people going at it. I am mad at it. <laughs> so um, and this was, you know, it was like such a romantic setting as well, because it's like they're they're off to the side. You know, the rest of the wildlings are like in their camp. And then so they run away into this cave. She's like, hey, I want to show you something. And so there's like this hot spring in this cave and she's just stripping down and they just go at it. She's like, I want to show you something. It's your virginity and it's gone. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> So I definitely want to give a shout out to the cave because, you know, that that cave scene. Cave. And interesting because everybody was shipping John and Egret 
I was over here shipping Jamie and Brienne. Oh, yeah? Yeah, which totally eventually happens. Yeah. So that's the one that you were just waiting for. Oh, yeah. And I had to wait all the way until season eight for that to happen. And then Jamie just fucked it up. That was disappointing. So I also have, I know um, you're you're just waiting until uh, you can get to the big episode. So I also have episode six, The Climb. Mm-hmm. This is why I, I literally wrote down my notes. Drop the motherfucking scythe. Oh, man. This was Go probably on. one of the coolest fight scenes I've seen in the whole show. And it's like one of the most grand, like in scale, because this is where the Waldlings, they finally reach the wall. And they start scaling the wall. Uh-huh. So they're they're trying to storm Castle Black. And yeah. so John and Egret and Tormund, um, they're like trying to climb the side of the wall so that way they can take Castle Black. This is when you find out that the Night's Watch have this ace in the hole, this like secret weapon that they've never mentioned until this episode. And it was, it was such a, a cool concept because I'm like, damn, like I never, I don't think I've ever seen that in like a high fantasy type of setting. But essentially this is like an anchor that's attached to the side of the wall. That's always just like prepped and ready to go. So one of the Night's Watch, he's like, drop the scythe. And that they wait until the, the wildlings are about like halfway up the wall. And this is already like a very difficult wall to climb as it is. And then on top of that, when they drop the scythe, it's like this giant like ship anchor that just skids across the side of the wall just and just knocks everybody vaporizes off. everything in its path. And I was like, like my mind was blown when I saw that. I was like, what the <laughs> hell? Are you serious? And yeah, it was it was so cool. I loved it. That is clever. Yeah, that is pretty clever. A good a good defense. Definitely. Now we can get to the big episode that I know you've been waiting for. Episode nine is that the one you're talking about? Oh, I know. Um, I just, I just want to mention. No, it, it totally is. But I just want to mention real quick that they decide to um, marry Sansa to mm-hmm. Tyrion. At this point, Marjorie's um, at King's Landing making her power moves after Renly died, and she was became a, a widow. And, and Joffrey already like tossed Sansa aside. Like he's like, you're, I'm not gonna marry. Yeah, you. I mean, they were still kind of like they would still kind of mention it every once okay. in a while. Like, oh yeah, we're still trying to put Sansa with. Joffrey or whatever, but um, nobody had any intention anymore of them actually getting mm. married. And so they, so Marjorie comes and she basically takes Sansa's spot. And so they're like, well, we got to do something with Sansa, but we don't want to just give her up. <laughs> and so they, they have her marry Tyrion to try and, I don't know, keep the two families involved with each other, I guess. I think they were just fucking with her. You really. think so? I, well, I felt like, like Marjorie... They had, they had their quote-unquote reason. Marjorie was really intelligent, though. Like, she she knew how to play the game. Oh, yeah. She knew she knows how to she play sure the Game did. of Thrones, you know? She was she was playing the game hard. So she... I think she also did that to with Renly, and she was perfectly fine finding out that he was he was a homosexual. So she was like, yeah, you know, you're... I know mm-hmm. I get that you're with my brother. With her brother. Yeah, you're with my brother. That's fine. Like, just as long as, like, I still get to be queen, it's fine. She makes her next move, which is to marry Joffrey, and, you know, she, she even asks Sansa, like, what should I watch out for? Like, what's up with this guy? And, and Sansa's like, I don't, you know, I don't want to say. And she's like, uh, Marjorie and and the, her grandmother, 
I forgot what her name was. Elena. Elena, yeah. Um, they're like, no, please, like, you need to tell us. And so that's when they get the inside scoop. Yeah. But Marjorie's able to, yeah, Marjorie's able to navigate all that. Yeah, she is. And she she's gracefully. A- she's able to, like, manipulate Joffrey, which is pretty yeah. cool to see. Like, you don't, you feel like Joffrey was kind of untouchable, but, like, the way that she plays it, she, she doesn't go at him head on. Like, she's like, I'm going to, like, make you think that you, you have control, but I really have control. Exactly. It's nice. Yeah, it's, it's very, very refreshing. I think it was refreshing for him, too, because on top of he didn't back down to like Joffrey's authority or anything. And she kind of still did her own thing. And she she was a positive example for Joffrey. And he was kind of yeah. like warming up to her. He's like, OK, you're like you're actually like helping the people. What a novel idea. She She's playing him, but she's also gaining the love of the people. So, yeah, the Red Wedding. Ooh, episode nine, The Reigns of Castamere. Oh, man. So they end up back at the phrase the twins yep the twins that's what it is um so walder Frey, right Mm -hmm. is like super pissed that he ended up marrying somebody else and got her pregnant and completely just broke off that deal yeah to marry one of his daughters Mm -hmm. and so he plans this whole dinner and what whose wedding was it wasn't it one of his daughters with somebody else this was um edmure uh, Edmure marrying one of the so that was a uh, Cat- daughters yes Catelyn's uh, brother Tully yeah Tully yeah yeah right okay so so they're at that and then all the doors are barred and everybody just gets absolutely slaughtered. This was this whole episode was the Reigns of Castamere was essentially just setting this whole red herring this trap up, and yes. um, it was it was masterfully done. This was the exact moment that I was a hundred percent into the show. I was like, I'm locked in. I'm sticking out to the end because right. So many, it lost so many people in this episode because, you know, obviously for me, I had already let go because after Ned died, Mm -hmm. I learned my lesson, but so many people. And I remember so many people just outraged on Facebook and stuff. (laughs) Just when Talisa got stabbed in the stomach you know pregnant Mm -hmm. pregnant woman getting stabbed in the stomach so many people were like well i'm out damn yeah that's true that's that's a touchy subject to to actually play out and and show in such a gruesome way on the show and uh, you know i might have been too had i been a mother at the time because i recall the people the friends that i had that were bowing out at that point were mothers oh damn and i was not yet a mother had i had i been a mother at the time i might have been you know right there along with them but I wasn't yet. So I kept going. You know, I I feel like that's about as far as you can get without like slitting a little kid's throat on the show. You know, like this is about as close as you can get to that. But I mean, kids do die. Kids do die in the show. I mean, we have Shireen. Rickon. uh, Stannis's Rickon, Shireen, Stannis's daughter. We also have um, Ramsey's brand new baby brother. Mm. So, you know, kids, kids die in the show. This episode was, like I said, you know, this is when I was locked in. And because all Mm -hmm. of season one, I felt like, when I watched it the first time, I was like, this show's okay. It's kind of slow. Like, I don't really get what's happening because I didn't understand the background to all the characters. And <clears throat> you were actually the one that suggested I watch the show initially. So you're like, yeah, there's this new show. Like, it's really popular. You should get <laughs> into it. And I'm like, what's it about? And I remember you you describing it to me. You're like, it, uh, there aren't really, like, main characters. Like, there's just, like, a bunch of, like, families that kind of, like – 
have their own problems and it follows each of them. And then, you know, they don't really, a lot of them don't really interact. hard to describe. And this is probably the first show also that not only were there so many characters to keep track of, but Mm -hmm. they all have weird ass names. And so like half the time I was like, I don't know who the hell's who. Exactly. Like me watching (laughs) for the first time, I'm like, who the fuck is Jamie? What? I'm like, okay, whatever. And so um, when you're describing it to me, I was like, that that sounds like the stupidest show i've ever heard in my life what obviously the hell? i did an amazing job of describing well it. i mean you're, like how you're saying it's hard to describe like that's essentially like you weren't wrong that's kind of how i would describe it to other people too you know like yeah it's a high fantasy show about like these families and it's a, it's like it's a it's like a political show you know it's all about people like trying to vie for that power yeah. And, um, you know, and like how you're saying, like some of the characters never interact. Cause I think by this point, you're, it was like season two. So, you know, Daenerys was like nowhere near Westeros at all. So it's like, yeah, you got someone that's like on a different continent that's like doing her own thing. And I'm like, who, who the hell thought this was a good idea? This show sounds <laughs> stupid. And so I didn't eventually get into it until my wife Brenda was like, hey, we got to watch this show. And I'm like, oh, I think that's the show that Steph was talking about. When she was working at uh, her, her old job, I think her coworkers were saying like, yeah, you should, you should get into Game of Thrones. It's really cool. And mind you, Brenda hates high fantasy. So her coming to me saying like, we should watch this high fantasy TV show really like that's pretty big yeah because for me i i can i can sit through a high fantasy but her that's like that's where she draws the line basically like no chance of that happening so <laughs> her suggesting it i'm like okay yeah we'll give it a shot so then this is pretty much yeah i feel like it it kind of eases you into all the high fantasy stuff because you've got the white walkers there sure and and i feel like that plays on like the you know the popularity of zombies at the time that was i think that was around the time because this show started around the time that my husband andrew and i started dating (laughs) and he has always been super into zombies and that was around the time that walking dead started getting really popular and zombies kind of blew up that was like right after like walking dead season one or two around there it was yeah season one happened right around the time where andrew and i met okay and so I feel like the whole I felt like the whole White Walkers thing was playing on the popularity of zombies at the time. And then it kind of eased you into like the dragons and Melisandre and the weird magic and, you know, things like that. Like, I feel like it kind of eased you in like it was in kind of like a medieval sort of fantasy setting. Mm-hmm. But, with you know, in, in regards to like the high fantasy, like all the magic and stuff like that, it really eased you in to that. Yeah. And, you know, for me, I've never really been like super into the swords and sorcery or whatever, like the medieval times type stuff. But, you know, my wife is like even less into that stuff. So um, Brenda was, I think by the time we finished season one, I was confused, but I'm like, you know what? Same. I'm already invested. I'll I'll just continue watching. Brenda was kind of like ready to call it quits after season one. She she was like, I regret this decision. I'm like convincing her. I'm like, you know, let's just let's give another season. If it's still not good, then, you know, we'll just stop. I, too, found season one to be quite slow. You know, like, honestly, it was kind of the whole death of Ned thing and just me kind of letting go of my emotional feelings for anything. I was like, all right, I can keep going. Season two, I think we were still, we weren't fully locked in. But then by the Mm -hmm. time the Red Wedding hit, I was like, yep, I'm in. I'm sticking through to the end. You would, you horror fan people. (laughs) A a huge massacre? Yes, I'm in. Because that setup, like how I was saying before, it was just so masterful because the whole ruse is, is the wedding. You know, it's, you got Ed Muir and you just think, you don't, you're not thinking anything of it. 
obviously this is like towards the end of the season. So you're like, okay, I expect some big events to happen, but it's, yeah. it's essentially just like this harmless wedding. And Walter Frey is like, Oh, you know what? It's water under, under the twins. <laughs> it's water <laughs> under the bridge. He's just like, just help join us in celebrating Edmure Tully's uh, wedding to one of my daughters. And so yeah. he's like, yeah, you know, I'll be down for that. And I, you know, thank, I thank you for being so understanding. Like I, I meant no disrespect by it, but you know, I just, you fell in love. I can't control who I love. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, he felt that that was it, you know, that was, they buried the hatchet, but Walder was like, he, man, nope. he did not take it well. So he set up this no, whole was, plan, right? At the, around this time, I think he was he was kind of leaning more towards the Starks cause. But then after he heard about that, you know, the the deal breaker, that's when he committed to the Lannisters. And that's also, I think, when the Boltons joined the Lannister side. So the mm. Boltons also helped set this up. And they were like diehard for the Starks for a while there. And then you get that that hint that something's about to happen because they're all like kind of like enjoying dinner everyone's dancing or whatever they carry the bride and groom away you don't really notice but like all of the phrase left so all that's left are like the starks and like their bannermen right yeah and so they lock the doors and roos is in there too but like he he kind of sits next to catlin and he's just like hey check it out and so the sleeve gets pulled back and you see that he's wearing armor you only put that on when you're ready to fight the musicians they start playing the Lannister theme, which is the Reigns oh, of Castamere. Right. Yeah, yep. That's when Talise gets she gets uh, shanked. Rob gets like a bunch of arrows in him. Catelyn, you know, desperately she tries to make a deal. She, I think, she steals Walder's young wife, mm. and she's like, "I'm, I'm gonna kill her if you don't let us go." And he's just like, "Like I care. Like I've been married to her like all of like a week. Who cares?" And then so they end up killing Rob, and then uh, Catelyn gets her throat slit, and that's it. That's the end of them. Man. And like I said, lost a lot of viewers. It may, it may have been way too graphic for some people because I think up until then, yeah. that was probably like the most graphic thing we've seen, right? Yeah. And um, yeah, the, the people the people who stayed were the, the strong ones. Oh, yeah. All right. Season four. Dang. Okay. So basically, the next thing that I found so satisfying was episode two. Okay. Well, I'll just mention that Theon is fully reek at this point, but then the purple wedding happens. So Marjorie and Joffrey's wedding happens. And here is where I almost stopped watching. And you know why? Oh, why? It is actually because at the time I was in CLS school and I had classmates that were also super into the show. Mm-hmm. And so the, obviously they were watching. Oh, actually, you know what? It wasn't a classmate. It was it was somebody else um, on Facebook. Basically spoiled it for me on Facebook. And I was waiting for Aww. Joffrey's death. Like I was so excited for it to eventually. I hate people like that. They just, where they just don't consider anyone else. They're just like, yeah, you know, like Joffrey dies or whatever. And he was just like, he was like, basically like, finally Joffrey got, you know, deserved it. He got what was coming to him. Oh, or, I fucking know? hate that and shit. It just completely ruined it for me. Yeah. And I was so livid he he just like, like well, said it out loud in front of everyone it was on facebook oh on facebook okay like why why do people think that That's others okay? want stuff spoiled for them like what i what i typically do is i'll say like hey have you seen this episode yet yeah and if not i don't i don't say like oh you're in for something good i say like okay well let me know when you watch it and then i'll talk yeah. about it with you so like that yeah this this event basically was actually sparked my deep hatred of people who spoil things online yeah 
I don't know how I went so far in the show without having much spoiled for me. I'm going to actually talk about one later on, but, um, and I'll, and I'll tell you who spoiled it for me, but for the most part, around the time I got into Game of Thrones, I think was Cersei's atonement walk. Um, I had, I was pretty far behind and I, you know, I was, yeah. I was playing catch up and I felt like for the most part, like pretty much none of it was spoiled for me except for like one or two things, which weren't like that big. So Cersei's atonement walk was spoiled for me, and um, one other thing, which I'll get to when once we uh, we get to that season. But I, I just wish, like, I I never got to get that initial shock, like everybody else yeah. did. So I I don't know how it felt to watch it happen with everybody else and then feel that shock. You know, I you know? I actually got to experience it because by that point everyone was already like way past Joffrey's death. So you like no one yeah, was talking about it anymore. Yeah, and so I I went in and watched it and I was just like, damn, that was crazy. But tell me how you felt. This was it was pretty awesome because you're like fuck yeah because he was such a piece of shit in that episode he was he was, he was like you felt so bad for Tyrion because this in this episode Joffrey he's like such a fucking asshole to Tyrion and he belittles him so much doesn't he do like that like weird like midget show yeah. And, um, and he suggests that he suggests that Tyrion get in it. Yeah, like he's like, you join him. You're 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 one of them, you know, type of thing. And Joffrey, I mean, Tyrion's just kind of like biting his tongue. But um, then he does that whole wine on yeah, his head. he does the whole like pour me a drink. Or doesn't Marjorie uh, give him a drink? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. That was planned because around that time, that was where Elena she plants the poison in the drink, mm-hmm. and then she probably tells Marjorie like, here, give him this drink. Make sure he drinks it. And so he was like, all right, yeah. cool, whatever. He took, he takes a sip. He trusts Marjorie. That's when he gets poisoned. And he, he, you know, he's like, his throat's like closing up and he's like turning purple. He can't breathe. And everyone thinks that it was Tyrion that point. Like, they're like, you, you always hated Joffrey. You always like talked down on him. You always disrespected him. And you must've been the one. Cersei is just like adamant that Tyrion was yeah. behind it. Right. He, regardless, he's forced to flee. And Sansa takes the opportunity to also flee. Yep. I uh, also want to mention really quick, this was the moment that they passed the torch of like main villain to Roos or uh, to, to Ramsey because r- by this time, Ramsey, I think he, this is where he castrates Theon, like actually castrates him. Right. This is kind of like the exact moment that they kill off the biggest villain of the show so far. And then they, they're already like building up his replacement. And Ramsey, I think in a lot of ways was, was even more dislikable. Yeah. You know what made him so dangerous was the fact that not only was he a piece of shit, but he could back it up. He was dangerous. Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, Joffrey was just a little twat. Like, he he was just a sadistic little kid. But Ramsay was a sadistic man with actual resources to and, back and that skills, up. And skills, you know? Like, he, yeah. he could fight. The next episode, Daenerys is on her way to... I didn't actually bold this part, but it's part of my my, uh, Daenerys is crazy argument. (laughs) Okay. So um, they're on their way to the next city, which I cannot remember its name. Why didn't I write it down? But anyway... um, She's on... They're on her way there. They're on their way there. And at every mile marker, they have a slave child crucified. Mm -hmm. So it's 163 total. And when she takes over that place, she has 163 masters crucified for, you know, for those slave children, Mm. you know, retribution or whatever. And yeah, again, like everyone kind of just Daenerys is, you know, she's showing her power. She they deserved it. Mm -hmm. But seriously, that was nuts. Like she could have just had them executed. No, she had them crucified. The thing that I did have bolded for this episode 
we find out why the White Walkers are taking the babies. Mm. Oh, this is the first time that they show what they do with them. Yeah, and okay. so was it the is it the Night King or just some random White Walker or whatever? But I he think like, it's touches just, the baby's forehead the, uh, the and it turns them into yeah because because well, they have the whites. W i g h t white, and those are just the zombies, like the cannon. Yeah, father. and then eventually, exactly, and eventually you find out that they're connected to the White Walkers, and so like when like the head White Walker dies, all the whites drop dead. That's cool. So it's it's whoever they turn. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. I think that's their yeah, army. So um, so then, and I'll, I yeah, I guess I'll mention that a little bit more later. But then you have the whites, and then you have the White Walkers, and then you have the Night King. Huge spoiler, but when Arya eventually kills the Night King. All of the White Walkers go down. The White Walkers, I think they have a connection with whoever they turn, but the Night King can turn anyone. Like he, anyone yeah. that's like dead, he just like raises. So he has like a connection to all of them because he was the the OG, yeah. the original White yeah, Walker, exactly. the one that was turned by the the, the children of the of the forest. Yeah, which was interesting. If you don't know what the lore is behind that, the children of the forest created the White Walkers to combat the the first men, right? Yeah. Because the first men were like essentially invading Westeros, and yeah. so they're killing off all the children of the forest because they're they're not combative, they're not there to fight. So they had they had to find a they way to defend themselves, mm-hmm. and and that they just ended up creating a monster that got out of control. Sure did. So yeah, they're taking the babies and they're turning them into into little baby walkerlings. Mm-hmm. And then the next thing I wrote down was in episode eight. Ooh, okay. So I have episode seven. Okay. So episode seven, Mockingbird. And the reason why I like this episode is because I have this weird fascination with the moon door. Oh, and I don't know yeah. why, but that's just like such an interesting concept to me because it's unique from like all the other forms of death that the other cities provide. The veil is like the only place that this can be done essentially because it's yeah. like it's like a fortress up in the, the mountains, like the, the high yeah. mountains. Man, maybe that's why I didn't. I didn't exactly like. Oh, I mean, because I wrote it down, but I didn't bold it. But that's you know, since I'm afraid of heights. Oh I, yeah, yeah. Uh, I do not approve of the moon door. What's cool about the the veil too is that what the the town's called? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the castle, the fortress, or whatever. I forget you call it. that. Like, doesn't it have like two names. So the I thought it's also called something else. It's like okay. I thought the veil yeah, was like remember. the region or something like that because they have the reach, the veil, all that stuff. And so, oh, I think the the this town's called the Eerie. Yeah, the eerie is within okay. the veil. The veil is like the region. I think the veil is like the mountainous region, and the eerie is like the fortress, the, the castle, right? Yeah. yeah. So the eerie is interesting because it's described as like an impenetrable fortress. There's only like one way in because everywhere else is like just steep mountains. There's no way of scaling yeah, isn't that. There, isn't there like a bridge you have to go across? Or something uh, not or even a bridge. Like, I think it's like this like deep valley. You can just get like bombarded because it it, yeah. it funnels you. There's no way to like it's a bottleneck. storm. Yeah, storm the castle, and so it bottlenecks at the the entrance and. And then you can just get ambushed from the the top of the mountain the whole time. And so it's basically like no one ever fucks with the Eerie. And so on top of that, the castle's like at the very top of this mountain that like kind of overlooks the cliff. And the moon door is like a hole in the ground that they open up and they just toss people through. Yeah, that's just a huge fuck now. I love the that that like man baby who, you, you know, what I'm talking about the sun. Lysa, yeah, Lysa the, Robin. Robin, yeah, Aaron. Yeah. So Robin is like, he's like still breastfeeding at like 10 years old. It's eight. crazy. Eight years old. I want to say, yeah, I, I feel like he's eight. And he's like 
next in line. He's a rifle heir because John Aaron, he was killed off before the start of the show. Yeah, and he and he is a little pansy. And not only that, but when Tyrion was still held captive, Robin was so quick to say, just toss him through the moon door. Like, I never forget that right? line. And it, it just cracks me every single time when he's like, I, I want to see the little man fly. Oh my <laughs> and God. so Tyrion's like, I don't. <laughs> right. Yeah, I just I have this fascination with the moon door and I just think it's so unique and interesting. And so the fact that uh, this is where that motherfucker Peter Baelish is like trying to manipulate Sansa. Right. So he he uh, takes Sansa away from King's Landing and he's like, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to take you home. But first, we're going to we're going to take a pit stop in the Erie to go visit your aunt. But she has this weird affair with Baelish. Like it was just super creepy. The whole thing was super creepy. Yeah, it was just really awkward. Baelish like having this loud vigorous sex with Liza and Sansa can hear it um then he tries to like go and like seduce Sansa and he's just like yeah you know like I've always loved your mother but you're like even more beautiful than she is and he's he's like trying to like butter her up so creepy he makes a move he kisses her and uh Liza sees it and so later on that day she threatens instead of like confronting Peter about it. She confronts Sansa and is like, who the fuck are you? You homewrecker. You know, you come into my house and you're like trying to take my man and this and that. And so she's like trying to throw Sansa out the moon door. Peter comes in and he's like, what the fuck's going on? And so he deescalates the the fight. And then in a weird twist, he throws Liza out the moon door. Hallelujah. And that was just all so creepy. The yeah. whole thing. He deliberately puts himself in, pos- in positions of maximum creepiness. Always. And yet, the weird thing was that was Brenda's favorite character. She thought he was the hottest guy on the show. What? Yeah. (laughs) I felt the same way. I'm like, how? But um, He's so creepy. Anyway, uh, I also have episode eight. Do you have episode eight? Yeah, I just just, uh, mentioned the fight. Yes. This episode is kind of special to me because this was the very first episode of game of thrones that i had ever seen so really not long after you suggested i watch the show and me basically saying no um i ain't doing that um my friend cameron i was over at his house and we're hanging out and he's like hey do you watch game of thrones and i was like no not really i've heard about it but no it's not really my thing and he's like bro cameron's into he's super into high fantasy like we of course we used to watch it like legend of the seeker all the time and so and we we played video games that were like high fantasy themed as well yeah he was like bro if nothing else i don't it's cool if you don't get into it, but you have to see this one episode, this one scene. This, this one. And so he shows me episode eight is called The Mountain and the Viper because this is where the mountain and Oberyn Martell face off for, right. for Tyrion's uh, freedom, right? Yeah. So Tyrion calls for... So it's Tyrion against Cersei, right? Mm-hmm. Combat trial by, by tra- combat. Oh, trial by combat. And so Cersei's like... Well, I'm I'm choosing the mountain. No one no one can fucking take the mountain. And Tyrion actually has trouble finding his a own champion. champion, yeah. And so Oberyn doesn't volunteer for Tyrion. He volunteers because he wants to get his hands on the mountain. Yes, because he because the mountain killed his sister. Mm-hmm. Right. And not only that, but apparently he like raped her and he killed her children too because he keeps right. reiterating that throughout the fight. Yeah. So he he ends up being able to stab the mountain with his poison spear, which does kill the mountain, but not before the mountain gets his hands on Oberyn's head. This was such a, a a cool fight because Oberyn walks in, no armor, no helmet, 
and the cocky super cocky the mountain is like decked out he's like this mountain of armor you know yeah. The thing is, he's fucking slow, but also at the same time, he's virtually impenetrable. Um, Oberyn is he opts more for agility and speed over strength. And so, you know, he just has his his spear and you kind of question it at first because Oberyn gets like backhanded once. And then, you know, he he kind of gets up, dusts himself off. He's like, oh, that was a lucky shot. I'll give you that. But then after that, Oberyn starts like laying it on. And so that's when he's getting all, like, it's almost like the death of a thousand cuts. Like he's just getting like these little like cuts here and there. And he's like slowly breaking the mountain down. And it was such a cool fight scene because Oberyn is like such a charismatic character himself. And I was sad to see him go because he only really pops up in this season. Like he's introduced in this season and he's killed in this season. Once, you know, the mountain goes down, he starts gloating and then the mountain. That was his downfall. Yeah, he got way too cocky. Yeah, he gloated. If he didn't gloat, he probably would have been fine. But once he started gloating, that was when the mountain was able to like get the upper hand on him and literally crush his skull. That Which was is... that was a fucking wild episode. But yeah, that was my introduction to the Game of Thrones. That was my very first episode introduced by Cameron. <laughs> and you were like, well... Yeah, and I remember cool. watching that. I was like, damn. But that still wasn't enough to get me to watch it. I was. It wasn't until Brenda finally convinced me. But I was like, that was... I'm not going to lie. That was a trippy-ass episode. Yeah. All right, what you got? So the next we have the pen- penultimate episode, right? Where, um, you know, like usually the big thing kind of happens. So I feel like the whole mountain and Oberyn thing... Um, I, I feel like that was kind of like the big thing. Like a lot of people were still talking about that, you know. Oh, but yeah. uh, Castle Black gets attacked... From the north and the south. And around this time, this is where you think, man, the Wildlings might actually finally win. Yeah, and it was pretty, um, and it gave John a chance to, you know, show, I guess, his development and his, you know, new leadership skills or whatever, which eventually gets him the, um, the whole, you know, the whole head spot, right? Because he was, he was rolling with the Wildlings up until this point, and so he essentially betrays Egret right here. Yes, and then he, yeah, he he defends Castle Black from Egret and her people and and Ira just hates him like she's just like if i ever see him i'm gonna fucking kill him myself yeah she's like he's mine he's mine mm-hmm. and then when she gets her chance she hesitates you know this is a special it, episode it, it for me in a lot of ways because you know this is the last time you ever see egret yeah uh, alive anyway but um yeah. yeah this was also this the end of her and john's relationship because you you yeah. thought it was over before but she hesitates you know and she yeah. In leading up to this, she shows that she's a badass archer. She's like, she's able to pick yeah, people off from like way John. out. Mm-hmm. She was, I she think, she, definitely I think she was the best archer like in the Wildlings period, right? Yeah. I don't think anyone could touch her. So her and Tormund, right, are leading the charge from the south. And then there's still people trying to breach the wall from the north. Yeah. They break into Castle Black and the Night's Watcher kind of defending from all sides. Yes. I think John, didn't he just get done fighting a Thin? Like those like big ogre guys? Like, Did he? Like I thought he was getting his ass kicked by a Thin. And oh, yeah. somehow like eventually the Thin ends up dying. I think I think Ghost, I think, saves him yeah. around this time. Yeah, you're right. So Ghost is there alongside fighting him, uh, fighting alongside John. In the middle of the battle, they he just pauses because he locks eyes with Egret, and and Egret has her her crosshairs on him already. She's already drawn that bow, but like she can't do it. She's like, "Why the fuck can't I do it?" You know, and she's just like, you can tell she's trying to force herself to to shoot John, but she can't do it. And and John gives mm-hmm. her that like that sad look. He's like, he's like, you know, I still love you type of thing. Like I didn't mean for any of this to happen. 
And, you know, like I, I actually do truly love you. And so she kind of reciprocates, like she kind of gives him that same look until Ollie shoots her in the back. Yeah. And then he, and then she dies in John's arms, right? Damn. Yeah. John, you know, he rushes over there and he, he lifts her up and she gives that the final, like, uh, like the last lines that she'll ever have on the show. She's like, we should have stayed in that cave. And uh, he, he tells her, he, you know, we'll go back there someday, you know, trying to like Aww. ease her, her, uh, her death. And um, I think she appreciates that, you know, like yeah. she's never really been the sappy type and she knows that that's all John is like, John's a fucking sap. And so he's like, yeah, we'll go back there someday. Like as if they're going to make it out of this alive. She's like, you know, nothing, Jon Snow. And that was all, that was like the catchphrase throughout the season because yeah. she just kept saying that to him, you know, nothing, Jon Snow. That, that was definitely Jon Snow's motto, practically. <laughs> he he, he really had, does know nothing. You know, shining over his head. <laughs> The next episode, um, the I think the big thing for me was Tyrion's escape. Episode ten, the children, season finale. So yeah, da- you know Daenerys is dealing with her stuff over there. She basically at this point she's just like she just decides to stay put. She goes to Marine and she just decides to stay put and rule there for whatever reason. Like kind of abandons her whole. Well, to your to your point, she wants to really like develop, get rid of the slaves. And she wants to yeah. get, she wants to really just lock that down and get a hold of it. So she feels like before I can go to Westeros, I have to make sure I do this. I can leave. At least for myself. Kind of yeah. And then, and then, and so she ends up having to train, chain up her dragons because they're killing and, and feeding all willy nilly. And they're like killing random people mm-hmm. and children and stuff like that. But then, yeah, Ty- Tyrion um, makes his escape. Wasn't it like Jamie lets him out or something like that? Um, but then he goes and kills Shay, his former lover turned against him, and his father. That was this episode. Dang. Damn. And I don't think he was going to do anything, but like he found Shay there, and sh- she said something to him. And she said something off. like, are, are you coming to bed, my line, or something like that? And that was always what she called Tyrion. So that's what really oh. broke his heart. So yeah, she so he kills them both. Great. Yeah, helpful way to go out because he because he, he killed he killed Tywin on the toilet. Yeah, while I was taking a shit, dude was constipated, was man. Like he was trying to just like push one out, and he gets an arrow for it. Well, I'm sure everything <laughs> loosened up after that. <laughs> Probably did. <laughs> so episode two, the House of Black and White. Uh, what I wrote down for that one was. Arya begins her faceless man training under Jock and Hagar. And I, I feel like this is cool because up until now, Arya just kind of like there, you know, not really doing a whole lot. But this is the moment that she starts becoming badass. And I almost feel like she actually leapfrogs a lot of the other characters in like badassery once she's done with her training. So that's why I wanted to make sure I pointed that out. And I agree with that too, because she was doing she was just doing a lot of kind of escaping and Eluding. traveling mm-hmm. and then finally she actually starts and obviously she's growing she's she's basically a little kid when she starts the show and then she's growing into an adult and i feel you know i kind of feel like i don't, I don't even want to say she's growing into a woman obviously she is in some ways but so it's only been a couple of years so she's still a teenager right i think so well, I th- yeah i think so but um you know she spends a lot of time pretending to be a boy true and it's like she's starting to learn to be different identities from the beginning you know yeah she's already kind of a tomboy as it is and you know just by cutting her hair a lot of people believe that she was a boy 
And the other thing I wanted to mention for episode two was John becomes Lord Commander yeah, of the Night's Watch. <laughs> and this is also, this is important to John because, you know, for the longest time, he's always looked down on himself. He's like, I'm a bastard child. I'm never going to amount to anything. And he actually, you know, this little bastard child managed to work his way up and become Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. It so is, that's pretty impressive. True. But anyway, um, so I had, that was episode two for me. And you had uh, episode three, you said? Yeah, so the, what I had noted for episode three that I thought was important for Arya's future um, is that Arya can't get rid of Needle when she's, you know, instructed to get rid of all her personal oh, ties and also she all can't her personal let go. possessions. That's true. She, can't, she gets rid of everything else, but she can't get rid of Needle, so she hides it. Keeps her tied to her former identity. That had sentimental value. It wasn't just something material, you know, that she wanted to hold on to. It was given to her by, was it John or was it Ned? It was, it was John. John, and, okay. But that's the thing. She was supposed to be getting rid of all of that stuff. She was supposed to get, yeah. be getting rid of all those ties. It kind of reminded Shedding me. her identity. Yeah, it made me think of Jedi's, I guess, because we're also watching the Book of Boba Fett. Hmm. And um, when you become a Jedi, you're supposed to get rid of all that. You're never supposed to fall in love. You're you're not supposed to be connected to you know any any part of your I guess your, your personal life. Self. And that's why yeah, and that's why um, Anakin Skywalker falling in love becomes so problematic, and eventually le- leads to him becoming Darth Vader. You know, that's true. Yeah. So yeah, I, you can't become a faceless man unless you get rid of all of your personal ties and you know sentiments and stuff. So. Hmm. at least not fully and Arya does a good job of demonstrating that so my next one is episode six i don't know if you had anything before that i yeah i did have episode six Ooh, we both had one. episode six unbowed unbent unbroken so what i wanted to mention with this one like how we're talking about the the faceless men the wall of faces is introduced which is pretty cool because this is how they go around disguising themselves as other people taking on different personas is that they, after they kill someone, they cut off their face and then they keep it on this wall for when they need to become that person later on. Yeah. And obviously you can't just throw on someone's face and look like them. So there's either, there's a bit more to it. There's some sort of magic involved. And yeah, this is where you there find is, out that, yeah. that the faceless man isn't just some belief system or something like that. Like there's actually some, something behind it. <laughs> There's some weird, like, crazy dark magic behind it because even Arya, you know, she's relatively small in stature, but she can impersonate people bigger than her in a believable way. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, like when she impersonates Walder, Walder Frey later and Mm -hmm. kills off his whole family. So that was great. What's interesting about the Faceless Man, just like the the name of their organization, is that in, in reality, they actually have many faces. (laughs) so it's like the faceless part is like them having no identity themselves but in reality in actuality they they are many faces they become faceless so they can have all the faces i guess (laughs) Mm, exactly yeah like a blank slate we also see ramsey and sansa get married which is weird obviously but it's also kind of the i feel like it's like her final hurdle before she finally comes into her own Yep. Yeah, this is this is a big event, major event, because this is one of the probably one of the most graphic scenes in the entire show. This I think this episode hit a lot of people really hard, you know, because it's an extremely uncomfortable scene to watch. And if people don't know, this is 
uh, when Sansa marries Ramsay Bolton. Um, I guess this is what many call the Black Wedding. It's already kind of an uncomfortable wedding to watch because of how it's set up. So Baelish takes Sansa to Winterfell. He he promised her he was going to take her home. And it just so happens that the Boltons have control of Winterfell around this time. So Baelish essentially throws Sansa to the wolves and while trying to convince her that everything's going to be fine. No, it's going to be fine. Just just marry Ramsay. He's a he's a good looking, nice young man, you know, around your age. Everything be fine. Yeah. Not so much because the audience at this time already knows how psycho that motherfucker Ramsay is and how innocent Sansa is. And I'm not talking innocent like as in her virginity, but I mean like innocent as in her being naive and sheltered and weak-minded, you know? Yeah, and still too trusting, I guess, but not that she really has a choice. Yeah. She can either trust somebody or be on her own, so. Right, exactly. And then um, the end of the episode, after the Black Wedding, Ramsey basically just forces himself on Sansa and rapes her, but that's that's not even like the whole scenario. What makes it even more uncomfortable is that Theon, who's reek around this time, is forced to stay in the room and watch. Ramsay orders him to stay in the room and watch him rape Sansa because he knows that Theon already knows Sansa from before. Mm-hmm. And that's just like a way of like playing mind games with both of them at yeah. the same time. It's just another torture for him. That was, and that that's even I think this is what really pushes Ramsay up past Joffrey in, in terms of like hatred you know like hated antagonists on the show because you're just like man that's fucking savage like this yeah. guy has no heart and i feel like i feel like reek kind of starts coming back to theon a little bit there too you know around this time because he he's he's crying like he's trying to hold back the tears while he's watching like he's still obedient but like he still feels the sadness mm-hmm. for sansa yeah, and, and it's it's with Sansa that he starts kind of breaking rules and stuff. She's the one that's able to to bring him back, bring back Theon Greyjoy. A little bit, yeah. Not even his sister. I mean, not that he grew up with his sister, but he, when his sister comes and tries to rescue him, mm-hmm. he um, you know, he doesn't go with her. He's too scared of Ramsay. Yeah, yeah that's he crazy. Thinks that Ramsay's playing a trick on him. Mm-hmm. But yeah, San- Sansa's presence, he's able to start kind of coming back to himself. As he tries to help her, how he can, kind of. So what you got next? I got episode eight. Seven. Ooh, okay. What you got? Episode seven. Well, this was just kind of a note. It's not like a super big important event. But I just kind of note that Daenerys um, continues to try and rule Marine, And, you know, she's uh, got herself arranged to get married and everything like that. And, I, you know, I'm sitting here watching... I'm like, why does she keep trying? Like, I thought her whole goal was to go to Westeros and, you know, rule over the seven kingdoms on the Iron Throne in her rightful place or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, why is she sticking around? Yeah. And so, you know, I guess she's just trying to build up her alliances. <clears throat> excuse me. Build up her alliances. Build up her support and her strength over there. Um, and then, you know, head over to Westeros already strong. <clears throat> But I feel like she's, maybe she's just trying it out, trying ruling out for a little while. But I don't feel like she's doing so great. You know, I mean, the other, hmm. her other, every all, all her areas that she's freed from slavery, they just keep reverting back to slavery. And I think a lot of it is because she didn't really keep her authority there. She just left it alone for them to take care of themselves. And then eventually, you know, obviously the people that were in charge before, they know 
how to gain power. And so they just regain power. Once yeah. I mean, they just go back to their status quo and mm-hmm. it's like, she, she, he, she keeps finding out, Oh, you know, they reverted back to slavery. And then two or three times she has to send people back to just go and, you know, kill all the, the new masters or whatever she's doing, you know, kill all the slavers and you know, reinforce her rule. Mm. But it's just like that crazy zero tolerance stance isn't really working. So I just kind of pointed <laughs> that out. Okay. And then episode eight. <laughs> episode eight. Did you have this as well? Mm-hmm. Episode eight is called Hard Home. And that's because that's the city that John and Tormund travel to north of yes. the wall. In order to save as many wildlings as they can. Because I guess this is kind of like the, the major town for the wildlings over yeah. there. And so they travel there because they know that the the they're Night the King the, the and the Walkers. White Walkers, they're, they're on their way. They're heading yeah. towards... Hard home. So Tormund tells John, this is kind of where we all congregate. Let's travel there, pick up as many people as we can with boats, and then let's head back, you know, before the, the Night King shows up. Unfortunately for them, things don't go smoothly, and the Night King and the Whites show up while they're there. This is a pretty awesome scene for me because this is the first major battle against the army of the undead that you see. Because, you know, they, they have like these encounter, these small encounters here and there, but they're more intimate encounters, right? Like it's only like a couple whites and they struggle with those and that they find out that, oh, dragon glass can kill one, this and that. But Man, isn't this what, where he, is this the one where he discovers that Valyrian steel mm-hmm. works? Okay. This is the one. Mm-hmm. And you know how I was talking before, like how there were a couple major events that were spoils for me. So the first one was the Walk of Atonement. This was before I started watching the show. Yeah. So as I was watching Game of Thrones, and I was already, you know, well past the Red Wedding, and I'm like 100% locked in, um, I would talk to Dad a lot about the episodes. That's a mistake to Dad. right there. I was talking to Dad, and I, I usually he was pretty good because I'll tell him where I was at. This is what I've experienced so far, and then we'll just talk about those. But But every once in a while he'd slip up, right? Yes, exactly. So he would, he kind of gets his seasons mixed up sometimes. And he was like, oh, is that the one where John kills the White Walker? And I'm like, what the fuck? I haven't seen that. And he's just like, oh, he's like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. It's just Valerian still can kill White Walkers. And I'm like, oh my God. It's kind of a big deal. (laughs) What the hell? (laughs) I was like, up until then, all we know is that Dragon Glass is the only thing that can kill them. So it's like, that's kind of a big fucking deal. You know, like someone is able to kill a white walker. Yeah. So well, yeah, that was... I think Sam accidentally kills one, doesn't he, at some point? When he oh, accidentally yeah, gets yeah. So he, and he that used, was a white He has walker. dragon glass. Yeah. And that's when he he's the first to find out that dragon glass can kill. Because I think yeah. he just... He just I mean, had it on like, him. Well, he had it. He was given to him by one of the one of the people up there, and uh, he had like a bag of it. And so he, you know, once he, he was just grabbing whatever own, he could. Yeah, once he give, gets back to um, Castle Black, you know, he obviously he tells everybody that the Dragon Glass works, and he, you know, starts giving them the weapons when they're going up north. Mm-hmm. So some people have Dragon Glass, but you know, then John has the sword. Um, and at this point, he did. He doesn't know that the valerian steel does anything against yeah. the white walkers because you see you, you figure that you know you might be able to like go toe to toe with one for a while but ultimately they're just maybe 
the fact that they're they're already dead like this makes it hard to kill them but the thing is when they show up and you actually get to see them fight you know in in a actual battle people multiple people are going up to them and their crystal weapons shatter steel they shatter like all their weapons upon contact so that's part of the reason why it's so hard to take down a white walkers because conventional weapons that they they've always trusted don't do shit against a white walker yeah exactly and then so that was the big reveal was a white walker hops down you know the hard home is getting stormed by a bunch of whites people are getting slaughtered whatever but it seems like a lot of them are actually able to to kind of like hold back the whites so the white walker hops down and he's just like all right it's my turn he's just like fucking john up the whole time right he's but the, you notice like he's he's not really trying to stab him with that crystal weapon he's just like toying with him he's like throwing him through walls and like punching him or whatever i think at some point when he gets knocked down his long claw falls out of his hand and it like slides out the door or something so he like runs out the door to chase after it white walker's like hot on his heels and so uh in a desperate attempt the white walker like swings at him as he's picking up long claw and he's able to block successfully block the strike with the crystal weapon i think both of them are in shock because john's like what the fuck and then the white walker even has like like a oh shit look on his face and then as the the white walker goes for like a second blow john's able to dodge under it and like cut him in half shatter him and i remember seeing that episode and i'm like man had i not known this was already about to happen that would have been such an awesome scene it was pretty awesome but unfortunately Sorry, but- for me, I went in and I was like, oh, this is this must be the this, part my yeah. dad was talking about. I don't know. I think mine was worse, though, knowing knowing that Joffrey was going to die before he died. Yeah, that's true. That uh, was a huge event because everyone true. was talking about that. You know, I could see mm-hmm. where like maybe people that aren't into the the fighting aspect of the show wouldn't have really cared about that. They're like, whatever. I just get back to the, the romance, the love. <laughs> But um, me, you know, I, I'm interested in both the relationships and the fighting. Mm-hmm. And so I just felt like that was a awesome scene to watch. Well, it was definitely important because, you know, the White Walkers seem pretty hard to beat. And mm-hmm. we, we've, little by little, we're finding out ways that they can be. But yeah. it gets better. You know, they're, John and Tormund and some of the wildlings are able to escape mm-hmm. barely. Mostly like women and children because the guys mm-hmm. were left to fight to kind of hold back the undead. And as they're escaping on their little boats, you see you see the the White Walkers bringing back the dead into whites. Specifically, the Night King, right? Was it? Yeah, was it the Night King at that time? Because the Night King, he he watch he walks to the edge of the dock just as John. Oh, so and is he Tormund. making White Walkers? He's not making whites then, right? Because the White Walkers make the white. I, th- I think he does. Whites? So he's able to do both. Oh, because no, the White Walkers would be the babies, right? The White Walkers, you have to use the the obsidian, the dragon glass, to okay. to be able to change them. But in terms of like reanimating the it's undead, just whites. it's just whites. Yeah. So yeah, the Night King, like he kind of flexes on them at the end of the episode, which is it was a pretty dope scene, I must say. So he walks to the end of the dock. I want to say maybe only like ten feet away from the boat as it's like drifting away. John and Tormund are just terrified, right? As they're just like looking at the Night King, and he just slowly raises his arms they watch all their friends that just died just stand up and just stare at them it's just dead quiet our here is just kind of like the little sloshing of the water it's just like quiet as this army of undead are just watching the boats drift away and that was the end of the episode that's right it was so creepy it's just so ominous and i loved it and then a a bunch of stuff happens between nine and ten a ton of stuff (laughs) so i know i feel like we we begin 
man, the final downfall of Stannis begins. This is, this is episode nine, this is episode The Dance nine. of Dragons. Yeah, and so Melisandre manages to finally convince him to sacrifice his own daughter at the stake. And he does. His wife changes her mind, but, you know, it continues on or whatever. Is this the part where you're saying a lot of moms just kind of checked out? Actually, well, the moms checked out when uh, at the Red Wedding. Oh, but I could see this one being another one. Like if they weren't checked out before, like, yeah, I could. First of all, I could never do that to my kid, obviously. And yeah. And the thing is, so this was this was voluntary, whereas the Red Wedding was done by an enemy. This this was done by Stannis and his wife. Like at, at the, you know, instructed by Melisandre because Melisandre tells them if they sacrifice Shireen, you know, they, I think they needed um, someone with King's blood in them. Right. Right. Yeah. So if they sacrifice a child with King's blood in them, like an innocent child at the stake, then that's going to seal the deal for Stannis's victory as he's marching towards Winterfell to take on Ramsay. So, so he does that. Uh, his wife changes her mind. As a result, ends up as it's happening. Yeah, as it's happening, <laughs> as you know, their daughter is is screaming out to her parents to save them, to save her. Man, and, um, that was such a terrible scene to watch. It was so that hard. was crazy. And again, I was not yet a parent, but yeah, re- re- as a parent, rereading it and not even seeing it, it's is is still hard to. It's super emotional because Shireen is such a sweet girl, and you know you mostly see her interact with Davos because yeah, Stannis she's teaching him to read and bo- stuff. Both of her parents basically have no time for her, you know. But know. Davos, he treats her almost like his own daughter, and he's he's really kind to her, and he's really the only one that visits her because she's always just stuck in the room because I don't know maybe. I don't know if they're trying to protect her or if they're just kind of embarrassed by her because she has this mark on her face. They were the able grayscale. to freeze the spread of grayscale, but it's still pretty prominent on her face. Yeah. yeah so she, she, I don't know, has to keep a low profile a little bit. Yeah. Um, so anyway, the mom hangs herself and then Stannis, Stannis kind of, I don't know if he's just like giving up or what, but he decides to storm. He's desperate. Yeah. yeah. He decides to storm Winterfell anyway. And no plan. He just he he knows that because he sacrificed Shireen, like everything's going to be fine. He's like, everything's probably going to be OK. Or so he thinks either yeah. either that or he's just kind of lost all hope. <laughs> <laughs> he has nothing else. <clears throat> he has nothing left to, to lose. And so, yeah, yeah, he he goes in and attacks brutally defeated. It's like embarrassing. They they didn't put up like hardly any fight at all exactly. from what and they, they show on yeah, the show. Everybody, everybody in pretty much Stannis and everybody just all die. And mm-hmm. at the end, he's still alive. And was it Arya that comes and somebody? Yeah, somebody comes and kills him. Pretty. It was Bran. Was it? So um, was that? Does that happen in this one? I think that's episode ten, right? That it might be, but the, I'm just kind of the fight actually happens. Yeah, it, it is episode ten, but I'm just kind of going going through all of the all, that, that all of the end line, of Stannis. Yeah. I believe it was Bran. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, his whole family's gone. His army's gone. He's defeated. He's shamed. He has nobody and nothing left. And he, what a way to go out! And he's out. Yeah, he's he's done. He's always been in the shadow of of Robert Baratheon, and I I feel like in a lot of ways he was a good commander and. You know, he was a good fighter, but the thing is, like, I feel like he gets, he bites off a little bit more than he can chew. Yeah, and it's times. interesting because I, at this point, I remember thinking, like, man, he put too much faith in Melisandre and her, you know, weird. Oh, definitely. Her weird magic. Everyone always what? had, 
I mean, everyone had a red flag about Melisandre, but he was just yeah. like, nah, I trust her. Exactly. So so the next thing that kind of happens uh, throughout the last two episodes, 9 and 10, is... I suppose this is... I think this is just 9, but Daenerys... They're at the, they finally were convinced to reopen the fighting pits in Marine. You know, she's witnessing a fight there. Jorah shows up to... That was pretty much the only way that he can get an audience with Daenerys. And so he shows up to fight. And he um, he saves her as the as they're getting attacked by the Sons of the Harpy, which are, uh, I guess, an, uh, a terrorist group or an assassin group or something that, that's being funded by... Um, the slavers. Yeah. The slavers or the masters or whoever. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> you know, in retaliation to everything that she's doing to them. This was pretty cool, too, because they, they were kind of popping up here and there, like, taking out a couple Unsullied yeah. right yeah. throughout the city. But this is their first, like, organized attack, and like, I think major it's attack. And only one, too. And they come fucking close. Like, the, you, there's they a do. moment where you're like, oh, shit, Daenerys ain't getting out of this. Like, they're they're surrounded in the pit, and it's only, like, her couple of her, her Unsullied guards, you know, uh, Jorah, and um, isn't and they, Dario yeah. there around this time? I, I don't know. I don't remember. But yeah, they've locked all the doors. Mm-hmm. And, and they're fucked. Yeah. And if Drogon shows up and whisks her away, and you know, they're they're shooting, you know, crap at Drogon too, and he's getting mm-hmm. all injured up and whatnot. And so she jumps on his back. And yeah, definitely if he did not show up right there, she, she they would have been screwed. Yeah, and so she jumps screwed. on his back and they escape. This is a cool scene because this is the first time they even tell you that Oh shit! Like she can ride a dragon. I didn't. Yeah, even she, think that's about the first that. time she rides. Dra- she rides any of the dragons, right? Uh huh. Yeah, and I'm not even sure she realized that she could ride no. her own dragon. I think she just in like a desperate attempt to like get away. She like yeah. climbs on Drogon, and Drogon's you know he's there taking the shots, but he's he's starting to get fucked up. So then, as soon as she climbs on, he's like, "All right, let's get out of here." And so they just they fly away, and you know they do take out uh, quite a few of the the sons of the harpy, but. What was interesting here was that they could have wiped out the rest of the guards and like Jorah and Dario, but they stopped their attack because they were only focused on Daenerys. So they're like, yeah. well, if she's not here, then we might as well just save our troops the trouble and let's retreat for now. And so I thought that was pretty interesting that they didn't continue fighting. They didn't continue attacking her her guards or anything. It was pretty epic that she's like flying a dragon now. Yeah. That's awesome. That is pretty awesome. And you know, this also introduces the possibility, I felt like, that Daenerys may have like a deeper connection with her dragons. Like she's almost able to summon them at will, like in distress. They can sense it and they come to her aid. Yeah, I agree. Because I, I don't think that Drogon just popped up magically, you know, <laughs> yeah. at the right time. Like, I think like she was sensed. like, she was scared. She's like, oh shit, I'm about to die right now. Drogon, no matter how far away he was, he sensed it. You know, like they have some sort of like mental connection, I feel like. And so he, he was able to like ping her, like find her location based off of their connection and like pick her up and then bounce. Yeah. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. And I think that's the, is that the, the end of her for the season? I don't think so. I think there, <clears throat> there might've been something else. Well, I mean, I she, she eventually gets, um, they, you know, they eventually stop somewhere and she, um, Oh, that's episode 10. In, yeah. Okay. Yeah, Mother's mercy. She ends up, uh, being basically captured by a horde of Dothraki. And since they're in the middle of nowhere, she starts just trekking 
in the direction that she thinks Marine's in, I guess. And a bunch of just random foreign Dothraki show up and capture her. Yeah. But yeah, episode 10, there's a, there's a ton of shit that happens in this episode too. So Sam and Gilly, they travel to Old Town so Sam can train to become a maester. And uh, that was pretty cool because, I don't know, this is, Old Town is just like an interesting city for me. This is like a central hub for messages. And then, you know, they have like that that cool tower that's always lit. Isn't it like mm-hmm. a, almost like a, like a torch at the top of the tower? It's like a, it's like an academic town, I guess. Like all the, mm-hmm. all the, the, the writing, the intellectuals. The history. Yeah, like all the intellectual stuff happens there, all the. They have the, the biggest library and yeah, the library and all the knowledge is there and correspondence comes out of there. Mm-hmm. It's a lot. And then as you were saying before, this is, this is where Stannis, uh, his forces are easily defeated at Winterfell by Ramsay's army. Mm-hmm. Bran shows up and she keeps her oath to Renly Baratheon. Brienne was part of the Night's Guard or the King's Guard, I should say, for Renly Baratheon when There's he was executed by keep. that shadow baby. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so she keeps her oath to Renly Baratheon by executing an already injured and defeated Stannis. Ah, that's who does it. Yes. You know, and that's the thing about her is like she when she keeps a promise, she doesn't forget it. She sure does not. She pursues it until her very last breath. Yeah, she's super honorable. (laughs) That one. Very honorable. And in this episode, Sansa and Theon no longer reek, narrowly escape Winterfell. Thank goodness. Yeah, that was it was interesting too because Ramsay's little side piece almost stopped him, but they they shove her oh. over the the bridge and she falls to her death. Thank goodness for and that too. Thank goodness for the snow because otherwise they wouldn't have been able to successfully. Yeah, I think flee, that's the only but... reason they. I mean, they were desperate. They were they might have jumped anyway, but yeah, they, yeah, they were they were aware that there was deep snow there that would hopefully cushion their the brunt of their fall. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seemed like it worked. Yeah, and it worked, and then. We see Cersei's Walk of Atonement, mm-hmm. which I feel like is like the first time that she gets a, a, a good humbling. I think, yeah, the basically the first time because, well, this whole storyline with the High Sparrow, it's funny because she's the one that allows it to happen. Like they, it wouldn't have happened yeah, without her. Exactly. And her then it totally, it totally backfires. And then it backfires. So she's definitely a lot more guarded after these events. And this is also cool, too, because we're introduced to the Mountain 2.0. Yeah, reanimated Mountain. Which, which was like a weird, like, Frankenstein project by Kyburn. So weird. And so Kyburn's not a maester, right? From my understanding? I don't think so. I think he's a former maester, but I think he was stripped of his title because of his, like, strange and unethical experiments that he's always doing. Because he's always doing some weird Frankenstein shit, isn't he? Yeah. So obviously he succeeds in this case. Mm-hmm. The mountain is reanimated after he and was unfortunately, killed off by Oberyn. Yes, and unfortunately, Cersei and Jaime's daughter Marcella is unanimated. Oh, in this episode, is that yep. what happens? Yep. Oh, so they're shit. you know they're sailing back, and she gets the kiss of death and tells Jaime. That she knows he's her dad and he's glad he's her dad and then dies that in That was such a touching and sad scene for yeah. Jamie. Yeah. I mean, obviously a little bit weird because she's like, I know I'm the product of incest, but I'm okay yeah. with it. But the thing is, like, Jamie's never been able to actually experience what it's like to be a dad because he's always had to pretend like he wasn't the dad. Yeah. And the fact that he's able to have that one-on-one with Marcella because Marcella is, is just sweet at, to begin with uh, as is. But, 
you know, like he's there and he he felt like just on, as they're heading back to King's Landing from Dorne, he's like, I just feel like I need to get this off my chest. And so he's like struggling to find the words to tell her that he's actually her dad. And she's able to just tell him, you know, like interrupt him and tell him like, I know it's fine. She and that she's always loved him, you know? Yeah, it was very sweet and sad. <laughs> it, it breaks his heart because of that kiss of death, like right after saying that. Her nose starts bleeding and she's like, she's like, dad, what's going on? Man, that was, that was very crushing. It was heartbreaking for sure. Yeah. And then uh, later on this episode, Arya loses her sight as punishment for not following through with the training. Yep. And that will, that's kind of a big deal. (laughs) I feel like that is the second to last step in her final, you know, come up basically. If that wasn't enough for this episode. There is one more big thing that happens in this episode. Yes. And that is the mutiny in the Night's Watch. Man. So Lord Commander Jon Snow is betrayed and stabbed to death with Ollie, of all people, getting the final blow on him. And that was that was for that was what the Night's Watch decided because Jon brought back all those wildlings and just let them pass through the wall. Yeah. Which is which goes against like their whole purpose, you know? Yeah. And so since they, they feel like Jon Snow is basically a wildling now, they decided to take it upon themselves to mutiny and uh, betray him. So Jon is stabbed to death at the end of this episode. Yep. And the funny thing is that it probably should have been... It was dramatic, obviously. It was dramatic yeah. and it was crazy. And it was sad and it sucked. But nobody believed he was dead. Not a single person who watched the show was like, I, I did, John. actually. So I thought John was, was, that was like him being written off the show. I thought he was gone for good. No, man. No. I, I mean, I thought this because I didn't know that he was like recast for the, the following season. But, um, well, not, I mean, not just that, but uh, I feel like a lot of people were guessing his, his lineage at that point. Like, there were a lot of theories about him being the, you know, the son of Lyanna Stark and, you thought so? Oh yeah, I didn't, I didn't it was, think it that was all, all over the place. It was all over the place. So, yeah, nobody, nobody. Was, I mean, everyone was like, "No, he has a bigger role. He's not gone." He was definitely one of the the main characters, but I wouldn't say he was the most important character. I felt like they were still playing Daenerys up as like the the main main character around this time. So I would say that I I felt that Daenerys was protected from being killed off, but John was just like another big event. That's like, oh shit, you know, it's just casualties of the show. Man, you were blind to the speculation then. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> a lot of people can say after the fact, like, yeah, I knew he was going to be the son this whole time. I didn't have any clue that he was going to be, the, you know, anything like that important to the the storyline. I felt like, you know, he's almost the the surrogate for the audience. Like, he's just like this, like, kind person that you follow along the show and he struggles with all these events or whatever, but somehow he always manages to, to make it through. And this was just, you know, his luck ran out, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, I, I definitely, I'm not going to be the one to say I knew this whole time that he was going to be a Targaryen, this and that, or I knew he was going to be resurrected. I didn't know any of that. I I thought he was done. Obviously I didn't, I didn't know either. Nobody knew really, but everyone was, was speculating at that time and you know all that speculation was i feel like yeah everybody kind of the, the audience who who read up on that stuff and and were doing the speculating mm-hmm. it was probably like the most believable you know story and 
yeah, the, the North is important. The White Walkers are important. But why the heck was Jon Snow so important? True, yeah. And, you know, I wasn't the one to, like, in between seasons, go in and, like, try to do as much research to predict what the what's going to happen. You know, I, I, I like to let pleasant surprises happen. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not trying to ruin it for myself. I don't like spoilers, you know, and how you were saying, like, a lot of stuff was spoiled for you as well. So I... I don't want to do that to myself. Yeah. So I'm not going to be like trying to dig in and like find out what, what events are haven't happened yet that happened in the books. Yeah. So, and to be honest, I kind of forgot about this mystery child that Leanna and Rhaegar had. (laughs) So I, because they do a good job of, you know, they only touch upon that every now and then they're not constantly just shoving that down your throat. That is true. So are we in season six now? Pretty much. So you, so at this point, you you think Jon Snow is dead, and I'm with everybody else thinking that he's definitely not dead, and that he has he has a bigger role. So I'm thinking he, there's he's going to come back to life somehow, but how? Okay. And I don't know. Maybe I could have, if I thought hard enough about it, I would have realized, you know, the whole the whole thing with um uh, with Melisandre being there and. Hmm. Her possibly having the power to bring him back. A lot the of people one true god. That, yeah, that she would she would bring him back. And you know, that's always been a possibility because Thoros of Mir has done that for one of my favorite characters, Beric Dondarrion. So Six he's times, able to right? do that. Yeah, he's able to do that for Beric several times. But the thing is, I didn't realize that Thoros was kind of he he follows the same religion that Melisandre does. I didn't, I, I didn't I think, put two and two I think together. I, knew that. I think I knew that. And so, yeah, I was guessing, you know, along with many other people in the in the audience, that Melisandre would have something to do with bringing John back. Interesting. Which okay. we were right about. Do you have anything for episode one? Because I I have uh, episode two. Me too. I have episode two. Well, to I was just off. I just noted, I just noted basically that um the 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 sand snakes or whatever they just kind of make their move to take over Dorne and that's pretty mm. much the the end of Dorne. Yeah, they they take out the uncle, right? Yeah, and Doran they, yeah, or I think is making, his name. They're making their moves. They uh they prepare themselves. They put themselves in a position for Dorne to become you know a strong woman led, mm. uh you know city. And this is by this is led by Ilaria Sand. Is it? I believe so. I know she's that, the, yeah, I know. the mom because of she, the at Sand some point, Snakes. Yeah, at some point, she, uh, Cersei has her imprisoned or whatever, and she has to watch her own daughter die. So and she was the one that, that performed the kiss of death on Marcella. Mm-hmm. That's what I like about them, too, is they have that like weird signature when yeah. it comes to fighting. It's, like it's, it's the poison. It's that slow kill. Yeah. That's like always been their be thing really, in Dorne. Yeah, it's supposed to take a, take a really long time to work. Because that's so, what Oberyn used on his spear when he fought the mountain. It was, yeah, it, was that, it was a poison tip. Yeah, and then Cersei uses the same poison on you know on one of the sand snakes. Um, Isn't it? Doesn't it have like a cool name like called like the Long Farewell or something like that? That does sound cool, but I don't remember. <laughs> um, but basically, yeah, it was just like they 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 had their part. You know, the whole Oberyn thing and the killing uh, Marcella thing and all that. They had their part, and now they have exited the show. They're done. Um, but yeah, episode two, obviously. I have exactly one thing written down for episode two. Oh, damn. Okay, so I actually have quite a few. So <laughs> episode two, home, um, I just, I wrote down a ton more events happen in this one. So 
Bran is training to become the Three-Eyed Raven, and, and it's revealed here that he can actually travel back in time to observe past events, which is pretty badass. Yes. So this whole time you're thinking they can travel back in time. Obviously, they can't, you know, it's just kind of like a, you're just viewing it almost like a, a film, but you can't really interact with anything. The events are already happened, and you're like, yeah, you're okay, cool. It. You know, it's, it's, it's so cool to be able to go back and watch. Yeah. Yeah. And then Tyrion frees Viserion and Rhaegal from the cave. Mm-hmm. And he he just had like that sweet story. I remember that he told that he was telling the dragons because he was, I think he was trying to talk himself through his fear too because he felt yeah. like he was about to shit himself. Yeah. But um, I think he was wasn't he telling him about like his life when he was younger and he's he felt like he always wanted to see a dragon that was always like his one of his dreams as a child and it's it was almost like a dream come true now that he was able to see real life living dragons you know and it was pretty yeah, touching and then Arya cute. gets her sight back after passing the faceless man's test good for her so i mean and this is around the, the time too where you i think she kind of feels like she's starting to be a little homesick like she's like i'm kind of done with essos you know like i think she's she's starting to think about getting out of uh the faceless man yeah Oh yeah, so this is where she, uh, but she still has to. She still gets to learn the final yeah. ways of the the, the faceless before she makes her exit. But I do feel like around this time, she's probably like I think she's starting to think like, all right, so how so how can I get get out of this now? And I think she yeah she's she's starting to think about because the whole thing is she, well you know at some point she um she meets up with that actress that she was supposed to kill but doesn't. Mm-hmm. And then I she's starting when, to become Arya again. One, yeah, and that was when the other one comes and kills the actress because she never did. I forgot what what was that girl's name. She was like the waif, the waif. or something like that. Yeah. So she comes. That was uh, that was that was when um, Arya got in trouble and lost her sight as punishment because she was supposed mm-hmm. to kill the actress. She didn't. She hesitated. The waif comes and does it for her, and then tattles on her, and she. And you get a sense that like the waif just never trusted her, never liked her, and didn't no. ever want her to to join them. Yeah, definitely did not. And then uh, later in this episode, Ramsay murders his father, his stepmother, and infant stepbrother to take over House Bolton. He sure does. His savagery has no limit. He will do whatever the fuck he wants, and and he won't even hesitate. Nope. Like, this guy is a complete psychopath. He sure is. Yeah, and that's that's what makes him so bad. In this episode, also, one of my favorite characters is introduced, Euron Greyjoy. Yeah. He's the uncle of Theon and Yara, and he shows up by killing his own brother, King Balon yes. Greyjoy. And now we get to the big event. Melisandre fails to resurrect Jon. Oh, does she? Yeah. So she tries. She thinks she fails. They all just kind of leave defeated. And John, John opens his eyes. Gasp. Everybody saw it coming except Eric. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I was at this point, you know, there there has to be a reason why they keep bringing him on because this is already two episodes in and you were seeing a dead John. So you're like, okay, they, they must be doing something with this. And so yeah, that's, when, that's when Melisandre attempts to do the <laughs> resurrection ritual, which... Thoros has been able to do successful in the past, but she she's never done it before. So, and I think around this time too, her Stannis's defeat shakes her her faith a bit. Like she's she's starting to doubt herself because she's like, damn, like I, don't, I actually don't know if 
if any of this is true, I don't even know if I'm going to be able to do this. So she's a little doubtful in her abilities. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, they've been shaken. And yeah, I think around this time, I'm like, okay, they, they have to be doing something yeah. with John. She now. does so much based on her faith, based on her faith, based on her faith. But for this, she's like, <sighs> even though I've heard of Barrett coming back six times. Yep. And it was cool. Yeah, like the, I like that delay. It wasn't like he immediately is resurrected. It's like, fuck, well, we tried. And then everyone leaves. And then John just, his eyes just snap open. Yeah. And that was the end of the episode. Something to note that you find out in the next episode is that it turns out when John died, he fulfilled his oath to the Night's Watch. So he's released. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Because I always felt like he just broke it. But I guess after he no, dies. No, he's released. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Because so, the oath so you is find that out. You, you serve until you die. Yeah. Right. And so he did die, but then he came back. So that kind of nullifies the oath. Exactly. Okay. He, he fulfilled his contract. Nice. He understood the assignment. Anyway, um, so so the next episode is number three. I want to point out here that Bran is going into the past and learning his dad's story. And at some point, he calls out to his dad and his dad turns. That was what? That was really awesome because as I was stating before, you get you knew that they could like go back in time and view the events, but you didn't think that they could actually alter or interact with anything exactly. while they're in these visions. And so this, I mean, you know, you start getting into some, uh, some, some crazy time travel stuff here. If he gets, if he does too much, mm-hmm. um, which, which we won't get into because there, there's always a lot when it comes to time travel things. <laughs> but the fact that you find out that, Oh, he can actually affect the past. That was so what? fucking cool. Yeah, like yeah, when he great. calls out to his dad, like young Ned, and Ned's like walking up the stairs and he he pauses and he actually heard that. Yes. I was like, my mind was blown. I was like, what? Agreed. That was great. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. I have so, episode four. Do you yeah, also I have, have episode oh. four. I do have I do have some stuff I want to talk about. Okay. In episode four. I think All it right. was I think it was important to note. The Book of the Stranger. Not necessarily a big part of the overarching story, but I wanted to note that Tyrion is kind of leading in Daenerys' stead while she's disappeared. While and, she's with the Dothraki as a prisoner? Yes. And uh, not for long, though. I'll get to mm. that, too. Later in episode four, Dario Naharis and Jorah Mormont find Daenerys in Vase Dothrak, which is like their the Dothraki capital city. Yeah. And... I I wanted to get your feelings about Dario because it seemed like you didn't you don't really remember him a whole lot. I I remember well I do one thing I definitely remember about him is that he was recast. Exactly, that was like and a big I, deal. I wanted to see what you thought about his recast as well because I actually feel like they did a great job recasting because I was like yeah I was fine with that. I did not like the previous <laughs> actor the which was the guy in the transporter reboot. Right. Yeah. I feel like so many people made such a big deal about it, and I was like, what? Whatever. It's not like he's that big of a you know important character or anything like that, so I don't really care. But um, yeah, I do remember that being a huge thing. But but the I thing is, it thing... was it was a pretty drastic recasting it because was. they look yeah, it was. nothing alike. Yeah, and as a matter of fact, if I didn't hear about the recasting, I would have probably just assumed it was some other character, or I probably wouldn't <laughs> like I would remember the name, but I wouldn't have remembered the face, and so I, was, I would have just moved on with my, my life. I actually kind of liked the Dario character. Um, I, I felt like he was 
you know, he was a, even though like maybe he had like a, a shady upbringing or whatever, and he had to do some questionable things in the past, he was a pretty badass fighter and he was pretty witty and kind of, kind, kind of cocky as well, but like not in a, an, a, an annoying way. Yeah. And he, and he just had like that charm, which I think worked on Daenerys because they were lovers for a while. Yeah, and um, that I liked the, the dynamic between Dario and Jorah because they don't like each other because they both love Daenerys in the same way. Yeah. But, you know, Dario's the one that's actually getting some and Jorah is, is never going to get any. So, yeah. you know, and obviously it's like one's younger, one's older, and there's just like this personal rivalry between them. But during this journey to find Daenerys, I felt like they kind of learned to respect each other. You know, mm-hmm. Dario finds out that I think he's the first person to find out that Jorah has grayscale. Yeah, he is. And so he, I think he kind of feels sorry for him. Like, and cause you notice after he finds that out, he, he tones down a lot of his, uh, his like poking and prodding. Like he's constantly just like giving him shit. Mm-hmm. But um, after that, he's just like, Oh fuck. You know, like this is there, there, we don't really hear a lot of people getting out of grayscale once they get it you know like surviving it yeah so i think it's almost like a death sentence yeah but uh i I also wanted to bring up the fact that um this is also brenda's second actually i don't know i think maybe maybe uh, while baelish is away you know because he's not in every episode i think um this is actually brenda's favorite character maybe a little bit above baelish so she actually really liked Dario. Baelish love, but I do know a lot of people were into Dario. Mm-hmm. I wasn't in on yeah. it. <laughs> Not really feeling it. Yeah, he was pretty forgettable I'll, to me. I almost felt like he was kind of like a, like a more manly John in a lot of ways. Yeah. Like he was like an actual like man, and he was like confident in his abilities, and he was he was also a capable fighter. And I would have actually loved to see the dynamic between Dario and John had they ever met. Yeah. John could be like, but I'm her nephew. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> top that, top that. Daenerys, she she comes up with a plan and ends up pulling another burn everything but me down. <laughs> so this is this is also going along with your she's always been crazy theory. It does, yeah. She she I think she's trying to like come to an agreement with all the the calls or whatever. Okay. And they're not in on it. And they all just decide that they're just going to gang rape her or whatever. And so she knocks down a couple of little like fire torch things and mm-hmm. burns the whole place down except for herself and takes over the Dothraki in general. Like all of the Dothraki because she single-handedly kills all kills the Kills all their kings, yeah. So. And now, and then on top of that, she she emerges like some sort of goddess because there's she burns down down their their sacred temple and she just walks out of it unharmed and so out everyone, of fire everyone's like what the f-? and so also this is around the time when uh jorah and dario are like within the city right to to go um come to her rescue and this is the first time dario ever sees this ability jorah already knows about it but yeah. dara's like what the fuck and so you know he's like all struck as well yeah, and he's like, if I didn't believe in her naked body before, I believe in it now. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Yeah. So that was uh, that was episode four. Now we get to episode five, the door. The the door. 
the door. So this also has quite a few that happens, but it's mostly around the three-eyed raven, right? This yes. whole episode. So yeah, so so Bran, you find out previously that you Bran can actually affect the past. Mm-hmm. And he sees is is he seeing the making of the Night King in his vision? Yeah, so the this is where the audience learns that the children of the forest created the white walkers they were the ones that created the very first one to defend themselves against man yeah the first man so the he attracts the night king's attention in his vision and the night king touches him marking him in real life and then the white walkers immediately come for him so how crazy is i want i want to touch on this a little bit so how crazy was that scene because not only can bran like go back in time and kind of uh affect it in little ways like interact with the past, but now in a vision, the Night King can touch him. Like how I was like, and I wonder if he fuck? remembers that. Like I wonder if the Night King remembers. Like oh yeah, a long long time ago when I was first made, I see a boy and I touch him, and eventually I'm gonna know where to go. You know, that's so crazy. Yeah, because this whole time, <laughs> uh, there's like some sort of like force field or like invisible magical barrier thing around this giant weirwood tree that the Three Eyed Raven like hides out in. It, it like essentially cloaks them be under his his nose but like he never knows where they are until now it shatters the barrier essentially and now they know they not only can they see him but they can like pass through the barrier into the hideout and kill everyone so so they come immediately bran is basically trying to just quickly get all the information he can get from the three-eyed raven because the three-eyed raven isn't coming with him he's he's becoming him right now <laughs> almost feel like at this point he's like one with the tree like he can't really move yeah he yeah he can't yeah so yeah the three-eyed raven's like take all this information because i'm not coming with you obviously yeah and so he's you know like in his trance doing the the information transfer this is the part that where i didn't i don't know if i quite understood what was happening okay so what happens okay the, this is the way i understood it he is able to kind of split himself so he's he's like warging hodor at the same time as he's in the past and he happens what to be the in the past fuck? yes so he's in the, he happens to be in the past how is he doing see, all this? <laughs> seeing hodor's childhood and his name was willis willis okay and so, so that's while his real he's name. Seeing, yeah, so while he's seeing his past, he's also possessing him in the present, and they're escaping. And so they, they're... the last remaining children of the force are like sacrificing themselves. Summer also dies. Uh, Brand's yeah. dire wolf. Yeah, they they die to protect to protect him. And what's her name? Mira. Mira. Yeah, is she dragging Bran out the door, or is she's Hodor... trying to? No, she's. I think she's trying to because that, well, that's why Bran takes control of Hodor so that he can actually do something and help get him out of there yeah and so um they get they get to this exit she's basically sacrificing hodor and she's dragging bran along and hodor is which is kind of fucked up she just she takes upon herself to just say you're gonna die while we get away peace (laughs) (laughs) yeah it was either her and bran or nobody basically so she's yelling at him to hold the door hold the door while bran's in his past Willis in the past hears her yelling, "Hold the door!" Through well, Brand's so connection, he's warging into present day Hodor and and also being in a, a past vision, looking at young Hodor. Hodor yeah. He it like creates some sort of like mental link or something. Yes, and then and then he and then young Willis hears the "Hold the door" from the future, from the future, and has <laughs> like <Mira>. a seizure. <laughs> 
Yeah, and has like a seizure thing. What the fuck? And then becomes, you know, loses his mental capacity in this medical event, becomes Hodor. And he just keeps he, he keeps repeating Mira's words. So he's like he's like hold the the hold the the hold the the, and then eventually, eventually it like kind of slurs into, into what just sounds like Hodor, yeah. And which yes. is the which becomes the only thing he's able to say after that event. Yes, that's fucking crazy. Wow. Isn't that messed up? So that was the big that was the big reveal. In that, that was episode. so much to take in when I saw that episode. When I, it was so emotional, like it was very dramatic and emotional, and just because I'm trying to process everything as it's yeah. happening, so I'm like, what? I'm, that I remember is leaving crazy. That episode, I remember leaving that episode with so many emotions. <laughs> It, it was, I mean, it's definitely an interesting concept for sure, because what affected him hadn't even happened yet. Like that was like years later, but yet yeah. somehow that affected him as a young boy. And then he just became Hodor. Yeah. And so I feel like that was probably the biggest, you know, brand affects the past moment. Yeah. That was fucking cool though. I must say. All right. Episode nine. Yeah. Mine, mine is, my next one is episode nine, but I just want to touch, I just want to point out that to move the story along in, in episode six, Daenerys decides to continue her quest to travel back to the seven kingdoms. And at the same time, Arya finishes her final training, mm. ditches the faceless people. She bones out. Yep. And she goes back to her, her original. So Daenerys well, and Arya both go needle, back to though. their, she does grab of course. Yeah. And so both of them go back to their original plans. Nice. But now Arya's this like badass trained assassin. Yes. So she, she's she gone through her final training. Mm-hmm. Not her final growth, but her final, you know, her final training pretty much. And and they, they both they both get back to it. And so then we get to episode nine. She's always wanted to, to learn how to fight. Like, you know, even in the early yeah. episodes, yeah. she's being taught like the water dancing and all that stuff. So she's always wanted to learn how to fight. And now she knows how to actually like effectively yeah, kill Yeah, she's people. an effective assassin. So yeah, episode nine, Battle of the Bastards. Battle of the Bastards. AKA, I think everyone pretty much knows this episode. AKA the episode where Sansa saves the day twice. Twice. Oh, okay. Twice. All right, well, before we get into that, Daenerys with her three full-grown dragons now. This is and this is what I was talking about earlier with the, the slavers. So you think that Tyrion strikes that deal and like everything is fine while Tyrion is still running Marine. The slavers show up and they just start bombarding and they're attacking Marine. They're like going to take it by force. And if they can't take it, then they're just going to crumble it to the ground. So Daenerys shows up with her three full grown dragons and she's like, Tyrion, what the hell did you do to my town? <laughs> so um, they fight off the the slavers attack on Marine. You know, they take out a bunch of the ships and they actually meet with like the the masters again. And that's when they they tell them like, listen, we don't we're not going to tell you again. You can continue running your town, but if we have to go through this shit one more time, that's the end of it. Here's the um the thing is that only one of you, one of you three can go back. And so they all vote like the center guy, and so he's right. just like, "Oh shit, I I guess um I'm the one that is going to be like sacrificed or whatever." Oh no, I think they said one of you has to die. So they they vote the middle guy. And so he's like, "Fuck, like I guess I'm I'm the sacrifice." No, he's and the so, one who survives. So here's the thing is that Tyrion, um, he uh, orders Grey Worm to kill the other two that volunteered the center guy. Yeah. And and then Tyrion tells him because he's like fucking pissing his pants and he like drops down on his knees and Tyrion just walks up, you know, all G like. 
puts his hand on his shoulder and just says like, remember what happened here, you know, and then like lets him leave. Yeah. So yeah, they, they successfully fend off the attack on Marine and uh, they leave that one master alive. Yeah. So that was a cool little like swerve. <laughs> and he does a slick too, because the guy that gets voluntold essentially, he collapses to his knees and he is like, fuck, I'm about to die right now. And that allows Grey Worm to just like slit the other two guys' throats in yeah. one swing. Kaka. <laughs> so yeah, it was it was pretty slick. I like how they did that. And then John's forces prepare to retake Winterfell, but before that, Ramsay plays a little mind game with him at the cost of Rickon Stark's life. Man, Zig-zag. how sad was that? That was a again. You know, this is this is Ramsay just being his piece of shit self, like he always is. He's like, go back to your brother, and he lets Rickon go. Yeah, he's just like, here's the game. Just run to your brother. That's it. And Rickon, you know, Rickon doesn't trust him either. He's like. What do you mean? He's just like, just go. Your brother's over there. Just go run to him. But, you know, it's never that easy. John is still kind of far away. And so just before he's able to reach Rickon, that last arrow gets Rickon right in the throat. Poor kid. That was so sad. John just goes into like a rage here. Like he's like looking down at his, his younger brother and he's just like, I'm just going to charge in recklessly and just do this by myself. And he just decides to like charge in on his own. And then Ramsey's forces are charging at him. And I think at this point, you're like, well, John's about to die again. <laughs> right? Yeah, I, was, I did think that. I totally did think that John was like, man, he's like, they brought him back just to die. <laughs> just, to, just to kill him off right here. Yeah. And at this point, I did think, I did think, oh, this is the end for John. This was pretty dope how they, they planned out the scene because John's forces were like trying to catch up this whole time. So they reach him just as Ramsey's forces reach him. And so this giant battle ensues. And this is the Battle of the Bastards. This is where it begins. Yes. And you'd like to think that John's going to win, but it seems like Ramsey's getting the upper hand. They seem to be getting cornered in the middle of the battlefield, which is kind of interesting because they're being cornered up against this like giant wall of bodies. Yeah, he's basically getting crushed. Ramsey is, you know, he doesn't fuck around when it comes to actual warfare. Like he knows what he's doing. Yeah, it's scary because he's so sick in the head. So just when it seems like all hope is lost, what happens? Sansa shows up with the army of the Vale. The Knights of the Veil to save the day. Thank goodness. And this is where she, the reason that she basically let Baelish creep on her all this time and continues to let Baelish creep on her because they need the Knights of the Veil. Yeah. John wins. I definitely didn't see that coming. I was like, I don't know how they're going to get out of this. Yeah, I agree. The way that they they portrayed it, it was well done. And I want to say it might have been the best battle scene in the entire show. Yeah, so the, so they manage to win and they capture Ramsay. And it's revealed earlier that Ramsay has been starving his hounds for a week. So Ramsay flees into Winterfell and they have to actually break into Winterfell. They're only able to do that with the Wildling Giant. Right. So the giant is like busting through the door Was and he's like he's he's getting arrows in him the, this whole time. In his last uh burst of energy, he busts through and then Ramsey kind of finishes him off. Yeah. And how satisfying was it when John gets to whoop that ass? Oh yeah. But the most satisfying part is Who gets next. the last laugh? Sa- you know, Sansa knows that he was starving his dogs for this and Ramsey's in a cell and Sansa comes to talk to him. And she, you know, threatens him with his own dogs. And Ramsey's like, they're not going to eat me. They're loyal to me. They love me. Yeah. And she's like, but you've been starving them for a whole week. They're not going to care. 
So she sticks his own dogs on him, and that is the satisfying end of Ramsey. Savage yet satisfying, for sure. For sure. I guess we'll just start from the top, and then we'll all work my way down. So episode 10, The Winds of Winter. Arya is now back in Westeros, we find out, as she yeah. viciously takes out Walder Frey. <sighs> that was great. Um, he's like, where the hell are my, my sons? And she's like, this is Arya dressed up as like some rando girl. She, she's like, they're here. They're here, my lord. <laughs> and so she keeps pointing down the, the little like meat pie on the plate. And then so that's when Arya finally reveals herself. She takes off the mask. So she slits his throat. And that's the end for Walder Frey. Yeah, and that sets up her the rest of her revenge for her to take Frey's Ooh, yeah. face. That's great. And then Cersei escapes her trial. I forgot about that. Well, she yeah, she escapes her trial by blowing up. The, the sept of Baylor. <laughs> yeah, it killing Marjorie, which prompts her her son Tommen, her final kid, to commit suicide. To commit suicide, to jump out of a window and end it all. Pretty brutal. Yeah, I always felt like he did actually really love Marjorie, even though I, they didn't yeah. really know each other for very long. But yeah, I think that the wildfire was actually there for the last time the the sept had any sort of power as a just in case. Well, this was, I think this was done by, from my understanding, Eris Targaryen. So yeah. he, the Mad King was the one that was planting wildfire around the city because he felt that if uh, he ever lost King's Landing, he was just going to blow it all up and take everyone with him. Yeah. So, so and yeah, man, that wildfire up. doesn't fuck around. No, it does not. <laughs> and that sets up Cersei to become queen again. They took out, so they took out the High Sparrow, the Faith Militant, the Tyrells, and Marjorie all at the same time. And then, yeah, Cersei crowns herself Queen of the Seven Kingdoms. Dang. So then, now we get to Bran's vision of his father again, Ned Stark. Where you, yeah, where you finally get to see what the heck Ned was climbing that tower for. Finally, the big reveal, yeah, he finally gets to find his sister, who is also, he's, not only is he looking for her because that's a sister, but... You know, this he's also ordered by Robert Baratheon, who this Lyanna Stark is supposed to be set to marry, right? Yeah. Ned finally finds Lyanna Stark. And uh, I think this is where that cool spot actually happens, where he calls out to his dad, right? Yeah. But then he's, yeah, he's continuing on that. He's continuing on that vision. So Ned finally gets up there and finds that his sister has just had a baby and is dying. They still reveal who that baby's identity is because um, it it like fades into John's face right after yeah. she like whispers something into his ear, and you're like, "Well, there's that." So now it reveals that John is is the son of Lyanna Stark and Rhaegar Targaryen, and that is season six. And I feel like season seven, like you know, re revisiting this. They do a whole lot of closing things up. Mm, tying up loose ends or try tying to. Tying up loose ends. I feel like they didn't really do like the best job. They, it, Yeah, it was uh, it was a little rushed. It was very rushed, in my opinion. <laughs> a little, it was it was rushed. and But, you know, they, they did what they could, I suppose. This was cool, too, because they updated the intro. That's another shout-out I want to give to the show is that they had a functional intro. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Actually, if you notice, it, it always shows you the places that will appear in the episode. Exactly. Yeah, and that's why it's functional is because it shows you the map and it shows you the places, like you said, that are going to be in this episode. And I, I feel like a lot of people may not have known that because they just probably figured it was going to be the same thing each time. So they probably just yeah. skipped it. 
Yeah. But I always watched it. I thought it was interesting to see it kind of uh, evolve. And the towns would also look a little bit different, too. Like, if there was a war that happened, then it would be smoking. Yeah, that's true. So it's cool. They they updated the intro starting from season seven, I guess for seven and eight, because around this time, they're they're starting to consolidate the areas that they're yeah. going to be visiting. So they're, they don't need to show as much. Like, now that Daenerys is in Westeros, they don't need to show Essos at all. Yes. You know, little by little, everyone's going to be congregating in the same area. So I think they decided to just show only a couple places, but they're showing more of them. Like they're they're staying on those shots a little bit longer. So, you know, of course, they still show the wall and yeah. then they show Winterfell. But as, as Winterfell's like building up, they're like going through the halls and everything of Winterfell. And they, they do the same for King's Landing. So I just thought it was, it was pretty cool that they changed it up. It was a little bit more HD. Yeah. But yeah, episode one, Dragonstone. Mm. Did you also have this one? I just had a, a a small note about episode one. Okay. That Sam is at the Citadel and he starts gaining information in the library and passing it on to John. And one of those things is that there is a huge deposit, I guess, of dragon glass under Dragonstone. I guess it kind of makes sense because that island, if you look at it, it's like this black island and it the whole thing looks like it's made out of dragon glass. Yeah, pretty much. I feel like this season really comes out swinging because Arya Stark is back. She's still in at the Twins and she single-handedly wipes out House Frey as she impersonates Walder Frey. Yep. A recently deceased Walder Frey. So she stayed there so she could take his face. Yeah, takes his pretend face. Pretend to be him. And man, she like ends up poisoning the entire, the entire house. Family. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. So she it like is. wipes out House Frey by herself. So that that closes that. She gets her revenge for the Red Wedding and the death of her family. Winter came for House Frey. <laughs> yeah, for it's sure. pretty badass. So I don't have anything until episode four. Yeah, just little things like uh, John finally meets Daenerys. Mm. Yeah, she she finally touches down in Westeros. She's in Dragonstone, and then and John comes John finds because out. of the dragon glass. The dragon glass, yeah. And he asks her to mine it, and he she doesn't. She he talks about the White Walkers too, and she doesn't believe him. But in a in a gesture of goodwill, basically, she decides to let him mine the dragon glass anyway. I have episode four. Do you have this one as well? I don't have anything in particular. So this was significant for me, episode four, the spoils of war, because. I really felt like this was the last episode that really felt like the rest of the previous seasons. Because mm. after this, it started feeling different for me. Yeah. And yeah, I, I started noticing like, man, these episodes aren't as fleshed out as they normally are, or it's like really rushed. So um, I felt like this was really the episode that started feeling like a different show to me. Mm-hmm. But um, I wanted to note that Arya reunites with Sansa and Bran in Winterfell. So she finally That's made nice, it back yeah. home. John, having now met Daenerys in Dragonstone, was given the okay to mine the dragon glass. And this is where he shows Daenerys the hokey wall paintings, which I was like, mm, I think it could have been done better. Yeah. It looked like, and someone was saying this too in like forums, they were like, he could just draw that up like really quick and just say like, hey, Daenerys, come check this out. This is, these are like ancient drawings I just found. <laughs> I suppose that's true. In Daenerys's first... uh kind of strategic battle axe she ordered the uh, unsullied to take casterly rock and this was actually the strategy that Tyrion came up with but there's no one there it's kind of like all the forces are gone and then euron comes in from behind and takes all their ships so now the unsullied are stranded on the other side of the continent 
the Lannisters are actually in Highgarden, emptying out that that town from for all its gold, so that way they can repay all the Lannister debt. Around this time, Daenerys finds out about what happened at Casterly Rock, and she's like, "You know what? I've had enough of this." They this is where we actually get to see the Dothraki fight in Westeros for the very first time, and it was pretty badass. Yeah, so yeah, they attack the Lannister caravan. Caravan. And in my opinion, this is actually one of the less crazy things that Daenerys does. Well, you know, since they did a they hit a swerve on us, we're gonna hit one on them. Pretty much. And so she actually she joins the battle too. So she takes Drogon and she's flying overhead taking out a lot of the Lannister army while the Dothraki are just like mopping them up. The, everyone knows how savage and how fearless and how intimidating the Dothraki are, and they just like mow them down completely. But this is also when it's revealed that Kyburn has been working on a special invention, and he reveals the Ballista, which they call the Scorpion. The Scorpion. And so they were kind of thinking like, what if the dragon shows up? You know, we need to be able to do something. So... Um, Braun takes hold of the scorpion and he actually is able to shoot down Drogon. Like Drogon gets a hit with one of the, the spears. Yeah. And so he he's forced to land because it's just like kind of like lodged in his wing. Jamie sees this. He's like, OK, so she's vulnerable right now. Now's my chance. And, you know, as he's like approaching her, Braun actually knocks him into the lake before Drogon can turn him into ash. Yep. So then... I don't have anything until episode seven, so... Wow, okay, yeah, because I actually thought this was pretty important. So John and crew head back up to the north, and they decide to capture a white to show Cersei to convince Cersei and pretty much everybody else that they exist, whoever doesn't believe. But this is where, when they go up there, this is where they find out... What do you mean you don't have anything until episode seven? This is where they find out, first of all, that the whites are connected to the white walkers because they kill a white walker and all the whites go down except one, which I guess means this white was connected to somebody else. Mm -hmm. The other thing is Daenerys loses Viserion in episode six yeah it was it was a big event but i also was, i was trying to like just choose the biggest events i felt like you don't were think the most you don't think an ice me. dragon is big i was i was actually expecting you to choose this one so i was like okay. at least that way we can cover all bases so the night king reanimates kills viserion with one of his spears reanimates him into an ice dragon he basically breathes like this blue ice fire i don't know it's weird <laughs> I do want to say this episode is kind of annoying to me, though, for multiple reasons. I think I'm in the same boat with a lot of people when it said, like, how the fuck did Daenerys get up there so fast? Yeah, she, I'm She, like, learned if... about it later that afternoon, and then she was there by that evening. Yeah, because it's, like, within days, you know, she's down in King's Landing. She's all the way up to the wall. I feel like this continent is not as big as they, they make it out to be, you know, because I feel like they're getting from is. place to place within you know, days, a day. Two. I feel like it is as big as, as we originally thought, but for the, kind of for over. the convenience of the plot, they had her teleport up there. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. So it's part of the magic. We just have yeah. to accept it. And also that plan was super flawed. I'm like, what the fuck were they thinking? They were, they're really going to just go up there, sneak a, steal, a white back, steal a white back. <laughs> like none of that shit made any sense to me. I was like, okay, whatever. It was like already doomed to fail. Yeah, so then, so then we get to some important information in episode seven. Oh yeah, episode seven, the dragon and the wolf. So the heroes successfully capture their white and they present it to Cersei in King's Landing. She seemingly joins their cause, but then tells Jamie that she lied 
and is actually and he actually ends up leaving so that way he can help them in Winterfell. Yeah, and it's interesting because they it seems like they split they split from each other for a while. Mm-hmm. And you know, Jamie ends up with Euron Greyjoy for a little bit and or uh, Cersei does and then Jamie ends up with Brienne before they eventually, you know, before Jamie pulls a Jamie and goes back to Cersei to die. And I think so Cersei's made sense because that was like a strategic like power move. Like she was mm-hmm. like, I want Euron's fleet. So she was kind of buttering him up. But Jamie, his relationship with Bran was I think it was a little bit more organic. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like Jamie had slightly more of a heart than Cersei's lack complete lack of one. Like I feel <laughs> like Cersei, she might have loved jamie the best that she was capable of doing but i don't think she was really capable of loving interesting well except maybe I felt her like she loved her kids yeah yeah but that was pretty much it and so she so i feel like it wasn't so hard for her to let jamie go and i also wrote down that daenerys and john become lovers and Damn. i felt that the relationship just felt rushed and underdeveloped unfortunately mm. i felt like it had this been a full season they would have had enough time to really build it out and may, maybe even top John and Egret. Cause I felt like their relationship That's was true. more, much more organic. It took its time. That's why I enjoyed it so much, but yeah. well, John and Daenerys, it, I don't know. It just, they, they needed more time and it was rushed. Yeah. And you find out like the moment before they get it on that John is Aegon Targaryen. Well, we we already knew he was a Targaryen, so we're like, that's already incest. But in terms of like the Targaryen, no, you find out. No, you suspect. You suspect. You find out. You find out that John is, you know, not Ned Stark's son. You find out that that he's Lyanna's and stuff. And of course, you assume that it's with Rhaegar, but it's not actually like fully cemented, like revealed until the moment before they get it on like his his name is revealed it was yeah exactly so he's a targaryen and that's still going to be incest regardless but you knew that it was he's liana and rhaegar's son and then you don't find out what his name is until yeah, you find out his name at that moment yeah until bran and uh sam kind of get together so and then finally the white walkers breach the wall oh yeah also i i don't want to forget that oh. peter baelish his luck finally his. runs out finally <laughs> that, that was pretty cool too because he thought he was so slick and he was playing he was both playing, he was playing and everybody Sansa. yeah mm-hmm. and it's funny because um he he thought he was playing everybody and he it's all turned back around on him and the way he ends up going out is by getting played the way he played everybody else damn i loved how unexpected it was like when sansa finally tells Baelish like are we we had enough of your shit he was so cough guard by he's like wait I'm, so, I'm sorry what are, we're talking <laughs> about me and the way that he's like he's he's like he's begging for the knights of the veil to like take him back and they're just like nah we ain't gonna do that you're on your own <laughs> oh, it was man. so satisfying and to then see Arya, him just like Arya makes the final the final blow oh yeah his uh his sentence has been cast and Arya took him out slit his throat oh that was great and that was it that's the end for Peter Baelish that was great and then yes, the the Night King with reanimated Viserion and dragon breath <sighs> is able to bust through the, the east side of the wall, right? Yeah, so he east busts watch. through East Watch. Yeah, which sets us up for um, the continuation of the last season, aka season eight. <laughs> season eight, which is just <laughs> season seven, part two. Yep. And so the first three episodes are basically focused on the White Walker fight. The, the, the battle against them. So did you check out a lot for the first three episodes because it was mostly fighting? 
Maybe. I mean, I, I wrote down just like a couple things for episode one and episode three. And that was kind of it. And that was the end of the White Walkers anyway. And so, um, you know, you, you obviously find out that Cersei lied and she doesn't send anybody to help. Mm-hmm. John actually finds out who he is. And then Bran and Jamie get it on. And Bran, yeah, Bran and Jamie. Does that happen later or does that happen here? That happens right before the fight. Oh, okay. Because they didn't know if they're going to live, if they're going to survive that fight. Yeah, and she they were teasing her about still being a virgin and stuff. She was recently knighted by Jamie as well. So she's like an actual knight. Yeah, so that was, that was great for her. Um, but I had some notes for, for episode three. So did you have anything before that? Just that John finds out who he is. So episode three, The Long Night. This was kind of interesting because this whole episode is entirely just the fight at Winterfell. Yeah. Melisandre just shows up randomly before the the battle in The Long Night. And she she provides the flame swords, which are, are pretty pointless, but they looked cool as hell. They did. Yeah, that was just a look thing. Yeah, because the Dothraki are really quickly overwhelmed. Yeah, it, uh, what it really did was it served as an important visual purpose by being able to see them off in the distance in the darkness. And as the fires extinguished, that meant that each one was dying. Yeah. So that's that's all it really served. But it was still pretty cool looking. And Melisandre continued to be pretty useless, except for her bringing John back. You know, it made sense, too, to kind of start off with the Dothraki because they were the most skilled fighters and they rarely ever fail in their their mission since they have that like track record you of course they send them out first and if they wipe out all the the white walkers then you know that's it it's easier for everyone so they send them out first jorah included i don't know why the hell he's out there right but they go out there first with their flame swords and this was probably visually speaking one of the coolest scenes in the whole series was they're charging it's it's showing like a side shot of like the front row of like the the Dothraki. Yeah. They're charging with their flame swords and then the catapults are shooting overhead and they look like meteors. It was just such a fucking awesome looking scene. Yeah. So I wanted to just point that out. You know, they quickly, like you said, they get wiped out. There's no fucking way in hell that Jorah would have been able to come back. He would have been dead. Yeah. Anyone in the front row outside of Winterfell would have been gone. I don't know how Jamie survived. I don't know how Bran survived. Grey Worm, they would have all been dead. And yet they prevailed somehow. What's another curious thing to note is that, so the army of the dead show up, the Whites and the White Walkers, but then they just wait. Like they're waiting for the humans, like the the, the living army to it's do something first. tactic. Which I felt like they don't really care about strategy. It seems like they the, the White Walkers just like go and they just fuck shit up. It's the night. I feel like it's the night because the Night King's there and he's controlling it all, you know. And well, see, here's the thing too: was he wasn't even there. Apparently, he was like off on Viserion doing whatever the fuck. So it, his his commanders were there, but like the the Night King wasn't even there yet. Yeah. So yeah, they then after they killed the Dothraki, they counterattack, and you just see that wall of of bodies or. You try to see the wall right. of bodies because this episode is so damn dark. I couldn't see shit when I saw <laughs> it the first time. And then you get the, uh, you get the, yeah, you, they set the moat on fire. Desperately. And they, they fill it with bodies and start climbing over <laughs> it. <laughs> Say hello. Hello. Hi. What's up, buddy? You can't really hear him, but he said hi. <laughs> hi. <laughs> All right. Continue on. So, yeah, the Night King... Uh, and his undead army are routed at Winterfell. And 
don't know. How'd you feel about Arya killing the Night King? I, I still felt indifferent about it. It just didn't seem right to me. Something was off. I feel like that that was like her big moment. Because if she didn't do that, then she kind of had no purpose in the show. That was what everything so? was leading up to. You know, all her all her traveling, all her learning, all her learning how to fight, her mm-hmm. learning to to become a skilled killer. You know, if she if she hadn't learned all that stuff, I think she would not have been able to have the skill to save everybody like that. And mm-hmm. you know, I mean, obviously, she did get her revenge for her family with the phrase. Yeah, but um, yeah this this was her moment. This was her one moment. I felt like her training wouldn't necessarily translate to her being able to kill the Night King because her thing was like she could she could get close enough to you to be able to kill you, right? Well, I mean, she did get the fighting skill too, and she wouldn't have been able to do that badass dagger drop into her other hand. <laughs> the other hand. <laughs> <laughs> she she gained that skill at some point, and she was able to like run like super fast, apparently. Yeah, so she she gained this skill. Obviously, she had no, you know, there there was no uh, changing faces or conning people in in mm-hmm. this particular instance. But yeah, yeah, she did gain the skill to be able to do what she did there and have her moment. Well, what's your uh, next episode? What do you have next? Five. Okay, I also have five. The bells. Mm-hmm. So now we just get to the final you know, the final game for the final throne, <laughs> the final game for the final throne. Mm-hmm. And this is against Cersei. So she's the last remaining villain of the show. Yes. And we have two episodes left that we're going to talk about here. I guess we're at least, since we're leading up to here, we're, we're leading up to her final <sighs> Daenerys's final descent. Yeah. Her final descent, her final downfall. Um, I did want to point out a couple of things before I think Tyrion mentions that it would be important for her to have a, a strong Westerosi house to back her. And um, she, you know, she claims that she's going to quote unquote, break the wheel with a kind of crazy glint in her eye without, and without houses backing. <laughs> like she just wants to, she just wants to basically take over on her own. Hmm. Um, you know, she kills every call, Dothraki call, which was, in, in her crazy fashion, which we mentioned, obviously. Okay. Um, and at some point, you know, Cersei's trying to, to turn people against Daenerys and kind of portrays her as... as a psycho? Yeah, dangerous foreigner. And, you know, I can't exactly say I disagree with that. Hmm. And then she dragon roasts the Tarleys just because they won't bend the knee, which becomes her catchphrase in the last season. Um, but people are starting to actually people are actually starting to notice that she's getting a little crazy here. Like Tyrion, Tyrion and Barris have a discussion about it, but Tyrion decides to stay loyal. Um, and then Cersei, which we're we're coming up to now finally, uh, is actually able to to execute Masande. Damn, and I think that was what I feel like the that was where, Yeah, that was her tipping point. Uh, I definitely think the the water was already boiling, but now it's like boiling over. Exactly. And, and steaming. Yeah. So there, there's a couple things that come into play. So she's been getting broken down this entire time she's been in Westeros. So if you notice, she always, she's never felt so alone, even though she's yeah. never had so many people around her. And so she, she's always looking off and everyone's always like, you know, congratulating John or whatever and like giving him the credit. But like, mm-hmm. and he kind of forgets about her too. You know, he, he gets caught up in it. 
And she's just kind of like off by herself and she's just like watching it. And she's like, I have no real friends here. It's crazy. So she, she just felt like really alone. And the only person that she really felt close to was John. And John was saying like, once he found out his lineage, he couldn't really give her that affection, you know, anymore. Mm-hmm. And so she felt like she was kind of betrayed by that as well. Yeah, she was definitely threatened. Um, but he swore he would never reveal his own lineage and, you know, he would stay loyal to her. But then he did. So then they attack King's Landing. Daenerys agrees to spare the commoners if they surrender and ring the bell. But that's, it's not that easy. Daenerys goes crazy and starts dragon firing everyone yeah like the town as the bells the innocent ring. people mm-hmm. did you feel like that also made sense like the battle's over and she she just looks at the red keep and then she just snaps after that yeah well i mean it made sense for her because she was losing it hmm. she was losing it so hard she's barely holding on as it was oh yeah yeah while all this is happening the hound and the mountain go at it aka clegane bull Clegane Bull. (laughs) You remember that? (laughs) Yeah, I remember the fight, but I didn't. Because the whole series, people were like, they were just waiting for the Hound and the Mountain to go at it. And it finally happens in this episode. Yeah. So Clegane Bull ensues. And, you know, I feel like the Hound finally gets to, you know, vent some of his feelings on him. But he can't really overpower him, you know? No, because this guy's like a mutant zombie now. Yeah. and they On top of the fact up... that he's already freakishly strong. Exactly. And so they end up both meeting their end. Plummeting to like a fiery death. And then Jamie leaves Brienne after sleeping with her and makes it back to King's Landing and... A very short amount of time another uh, another this continent is smaller than it seems moment yeah they're trying to escape the red keep and end up at a dead end as it collapses on top of them that's it for the the uh lannister twins yeah and Tyrion eventually finds their bodies so so all that happens they end up you know daenerys ends up in the red keep with john and goes on a little rant about how she's liberating all the people of by the killing entire them. world <laughs> yeah and she's going to continue liberating all the people by killing them <laughs> and that's the thing is like at this point now in in this mental stage i feel like she's just gonna like kill everything she doesn't she doesn't just plan on killing yeah. these tyrants but she's just gonna wipe everyone out anyone that opposes her yeah yeah, and so John sees this, and he, you know he sees how how she's lost it. Are, are we flowing into episode six now? Yeah, yeah. The Iron Throne. So yeah, she she's lost it, and he he kills her. How do you feel about that? About him being the one to kill her, or the way that he went about doing it? I think it was like very dramatic. Well, I mean, the whole show is dramatic. Yeah. Right. I feel like in a way, because, you know, everybody gets their satisfying end, but maybe because Daenerys was so liked and wasn't really considered a villain. Mm -hmm. Until like the very end. Yeah, until the very end. She didn't really get a satisfying end. But to me, I mean, since I had been kind of following her descent the entire time where everybody else (laughs) was surprised by it, I was kind of sad not to get my satisfying end for her. So how would you have? Oh, I guess we'll we'll get into that. Yeah. Well, I mean... Yeah, I guess my imagination isn't that great, so I couldn't think of anything grand, but oh, okay. I did have another idea. So so then, yeah, that's the end of that. And then we end up with a couple weeks later, John obviously did kill his leader. And so he's 
in jail. He he betrayed them. I'm surprised that he wasn't killed, honestly. I thought they would have killed him. Yeah, I know. I agree. Drogon destroys the Iron Throne. Oh, yeah, that's right. So, I don't know. I also felt kind of kind of sad about that, too, because I'm like, man, this is now... that I guess this is also the start of, like, a new age, because everything's always been about getting the Iron Throne, but it's, like, at the same time, come all this way, and then it's just, like, destroyed at the end. Yeah, it was very... I, it, it definitely was a symbolic thing, you know? And, uh... Drogon was grieving, like the whole the whole purpose was gone. And I wonder what Drogon does with Daenerys' body. Where's he going? I don't know. That's a good question. Like, does he somehow bury it or something like that? Or maybe he goes back to Valyria, where like the Targaryens came from. Maybe, yeah. Hmm. It's interesting. It, maybe it's a, some sort of instinctual thing to take her home, wherever home is. Yeah. So yeah, after that, we we get to. Um, the the reveal of the new leadership and all their decisions and stuff. Mm-hmm. Now we're down to the end. All right, so the very end, the North secedes. They remain uh, independent. Yeah, they they decide to just, and then they declare. They eventually declare Sansa queen of the North. Queen of the North. And they d- talk it out a little bit. And decide to make Bran king. King. I didn't know how to feel about this either. A lot of people are saying, who's going to be a better king than Bran? But I'm like, two things that were inconsistent with this. So the whole time, the, the Three-Eyed Raven just wants to be kind of left alone so that way he can do his own thing. And then he even said in the past that he didn't want like any authority or anything. And then now all of a sudden he's like, why do you think I'm here? I wanted to be king this whole time. I'm like, what the fuck? Okay, whatever. I mean, uh, you know, the the Three-Eyed Raven has kind of carried on, but I feel like maybe there's still a little bit of Bran in there somewhere, you know? It's maybe. not It's not just the Three-Eyed Raven. They're, they're, he's, he's, still, he's still in there somewhere, but he's so cold now, you know? I mean, he... Who's going to want to follow him, you he know? He can see the past. He cannot make the same mistakes that other men have made or whatever, but he's so yeah. cold and... He's like a robot. Yeah, exactly. He's I'm emotionless. like, how can he be any sort of good leader, I guess? exactly he, he'll be good in the sense that he can see things happen before they actually happen but yeah. other than that people are gonna be like i don't know about this guy he's he's weird he's weird and you know i hate to say it but he he's a cripple and i'm not sure that people would he's weak yeah that's true because when kings need to be strong right and and capable and they need to be a positive influence and right you know obviously like the past some of the past kings haven't been that necessarily but um you know, typically, like, I think that's what why so many people followed Robert Brathen during Robert's Rebellion was that he was just like this, this like fierce warrior. And I think Ned knew that he was going to get shit done. Yeah. So Bran um, elects Tyrion as his hand. Which and then sense. John returns to the Nightwatch, which honestly, I feel like that would have been where I feel like that's where he kind of thrived the most. So you think that so? makes sense. Yeah. I mean, that mm. that's where he was able to kind of. Like, I don't think he would want to be king of everybody, but to be kind of the head of a small group. Like Lord Commander him. of yeah. that. Lord Commander but, of the Night's Watch. But see, he even, he even stated, he was like, there's still a Night's Watch. And that's kind of <laughs> how I felt about it, too. I'm like, why the fuck is there a Night's Watch? Like, the Wildlings are no longer a threat. There's no there's no uh, undead army, you know? Yeah, it's, it's just going to be kind of a place to send misfits and I guess. criminals and stuff. Yeah, they need somewhere to send them to give them a purpose. It's kind of be it's kind of like military school. Yeah. So that's pretty much it. And then you know, Arya sets sail, um, setting her up for 
uh, from what I heard, a spinoff, but I haven't seen anything about that yet. What's west of Westeros? Who knows? Maybe we'll find out. <laughs> right. And that's how the show ends. That was Game of Thrones, ladies and gentlemen. Game of Thrones. <laughs> well, you know what? We also, this is something new that we've never done on any other show before, but Steph and I also came up with a bonus activity for the audience. And this is, our activity is, how would we have ended this series? So do you want to start start this off? Sure, yeah, because um, like I said, like I don't I don't actually have too too big of an imagination, and so I didn't really come up with anything too crazy. Man, I was nerding out for this, and it might <laughs> it might be a little too nerdy for people, but we'll see. So yeah, as I said, I didn't really buy Brian as king, right? Um, Me either. And I felt like yeah, maybe maybe John could have ended up doing it, but I guess they needed like after he killed Daenerys, they needed somebody to punish, and he took that. And, you know, Grey Worm like, was not satisfied and the Unsullied were not satisfied until there was some some sort of justice doled out against him. So, but yeah, I definitely don't think he would have wanted to be king at all. You know, I toyed with the idea of maybe Sansa becoming queen, but I don't think she would have actually, like, she did, she's doing okay in the North, but I don't think she would have necessarily been any good as queen. But it's funny because, hmm. like, that's that was her goal at the beginning, you know, was to marry Joffrey and become queen. Become queen, yeah, yeah. that's true. Um, but then and she I thought, what being if... groomed for it her whole life? Yeah, too. exactly. So then I thought, what about Tyrion? Mm, Tyrion as king. Okay. Yeah, and so I was thinking he did a lot of growing throughout the series. Yeah, obviously, you know, he he did what he had to do to survive, but he learned how to fight. He um, was able to do a little bit of ruling when he when he ruled Marine when Marine. Daenerys was with the Dothraki. And I was thinking he was good at negotiating. And he was kind of sort of the only one that was able to bring a little bit of peace to Marine for a time before that whole, the end of that. The masters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I feel like, you know, maybe if they, if they would have, you know, thought of that earlier and then kind of worked him up, gave, given him a little bit more development and a little bit more confidence and strength, he could have been, he could have been the one that actually, that actually rose up and killed Daenerys himself. Interesting. Okay. And then John would claim his identity but abdicate the throne to Tyrion. what so he would accept it at first but then like hand it off yeah because he didn't want it he didn't want it yeah he never wanted I, it I, th- I think he he may have been a good king but would he have wanted it no he kind of would have been thrust into it you know and that's kind of what he got he got thrust into everything that he ever he ever did pretty much ever, yeah it's like what what did he actually kind of decide to do on his own i think it was join the night's watch that was it yeah yeah and so so Tyrion would become king right and with a sol- with his their solid new council that they had, he I think he would do all right. the The question is, would the people accept him? Like similarly, well, I mean, I guess it would kind of be the same situation as Bran, you know? Oh, you like, think Will so? they accept Bran? Will they accept Tyrion? They, I don't know. They would either they would either not, or they would just have to. Do you think also that they would have been tired of just having the Lannisters rule the Iron That's Throne? That's also possible, yeah. But of, of all the Lannisters, Tyrion is probably the best one. Yeah. Oh, hands Def- down. Pop probably definitely He's, the best one. I think, I think he was definitely the most popular character in the entire series. I feel like even in the books, everyone likes Tyrion the best. I feel like Jon Snow is actually probably think so? in the show for sure. Okay. Everyone was super into Jon Snow. Daenerys was pretty popular too. Oh yeah, very popular because um, that that showed the strong female character. Yeah, but definitely Tyrion. Yeah, Tyrion had a lot of love. Including from myself, but you know, it's that's not taken away. Like they they had other strong female characters as well, like Bran and Arya. But oh, yeah. do you feel like they needed Daenerys because they they wanted someone that could compete with the big boys? You know, that could actually rule. 
Yeah, I think definitely like not. Uh, I mean, obviously, Brienne's not going to try and come up and be queen or something like that. So, yeah, I think Daenerys was definitely the woman. So what do you think? How should how would it have ended if you were? So I had a little bit of a, a different take on it. So to start off, I, I would have really liked for each of the dragons to to be unique in some way, like have their own distinct specialty. Like mm-hmm. maybe Drogon could have been like the tank, like he has tougher skin or scales and Viserion would have been the quickest flyer. And then Rhaegal would have, I don't know, maybe had a more powerful flame breath or something, right? Yeah. So um, for the sake of my story, I'm just going to base off of that logic. <laughs> so um, it, Undead Viserion who in, in my version would have been like the quickest flyer, that would have essentially given him the agility along with the the strong magical fire ice breath, right? To mm-hmm. be able to give him the advantage, mm-hmm. almost like an unfair advantage because, you know, the villains all, always need to have that. The heroes need to have some sort of big hurdle to, to overcome. So I would have kept probably a lot of it the same up until the long night battle. Uh-huh. I firmly believe that the Night King should not have been stopped at Winterfell. I still stand by that. I That just made him seem so insignificant and so weak and so right. useless. So I would have done things a little bit differently. Um, the Long Night battle still happens at Winterfell. Cersei barely sends any of her men to fight. I think she maybe like sends like a, a tiny army to say like, hey, yeah, you know, we'll we'll back you guys up. And then, um, but the resistance ultimately to the undead is futile. Like they mm-hmm. quickly begin getting trounced. John and Daenerys are not successful in battling the Night King in an aerial battle mm-hmm. because Viserion or undead Viserion is, is just too fast for them. And and also I felt like maybe they underestimated the Night King a bit because I feel like Daenerys always felt that when it came to the sky and dragons, like she was, she was the queen, you know, like no one could touch her. She didn't expect that maybe the Night King to have a weird connection with undead Viserion as well. So uh, he, you know, he would be like the quickest one and he would, he would be able to like evade them and kind of get the jump on them. And, and John's also a novice when it comes to flying on a dragon. So he wouldn't have been much help, Mm -hmm. but um, yeah, I would have eventually had it where, Maybe at some point, Rhaegal is hurt. Jon is flung off. Daenerys has to quickly swoop down to catch him at the last minute with Drogon. At the same time, he he's too low, and so they run into some trees and or some shit. They're in- incapacitated for a while, kind of removed from the battle. Night King can mm-hmm. continue doing his thing. In an attempt to spare what forces they have left, everyone flees Winterfell, giving the Night King the victory, essentially. Mm-hmm. But during the escape... Because the Night King's not worried about destroying everything, you know, like raising buildings. He's he's just trying to get to Bran. You know, yeah. his his mission is like, I want to get to the Three-Eyed Raven. So everyone's kind of like fleeing to King's Landing. They're leaving Winterfell. So during the escape, Bran is being transported in a carriage and the Night King is pursuing him on Undead Viserion. As he's about to get to the Three-Eyed Raven, this is where Daenerys and Jon re-engage in a second dragon aerial battle out of nowhere. And this time they kill undead Viserion again <laughs> they kill him for good and uh that knocks the night king off into an uncertain fate like he just basically plummets off like how he did on the show you yeah. know when he got knocked off and he just like falls so that that's going to be like okay well we don't know what happened to him but just as long as he's not pursuing Bran anymore that's fine for now and then um at the end of i guess that would have been the long night 
uh, it's revealed that the Night King survives the fall and then he raises the fallen soldiers at Winterfell and then they start marching towards King's Landing. Dang. So now his army travels so slow that it gives the main characters enough time to regroup and prepare for one final stand in King's Landing. Um, Jamie and the remaining Lannister army, they survive Winterfell. Uh, and they actually convince Cersei to help the protagonist for real this time. Like, you you have no idea who we're fucking with. Like, they just mowed us down. We had no chance, you know? Yeah. And so Cersei's like, okay, I, well, if you say so. Having uh, the full Lannister army join the final stand alongside the Golden Company, this is where we get we have, like, all hands on deck. Like, yeah. this is going to be all the living versus all of the dead. Yeah. That's what I wanted to see. And uh, so it begins to snow in King's Landing for the first time in a long time, if ever. And that signifies that the Night King is getting close. And they did snow in King's Landing on the show yeah, as well, so but they didn't like have a reason like a for it. Pointless symbolic thing. Yeah, it was. It was. There was like no reason for it. So I would have actually had a reason, like because yeah. everywhere the Night King goes, there's always like this like weird like dark cloud. Yeah. So everything becomes like really dark, depressing, and fucking cold. Like it's just almost unbearably cold, and it almost feels like north of the wall, but like in King's Landing, you know. Yeah. And the big battle happens, but this time the heroes have more firepower by defending with catapults, scorpions, etc. You know, it's the it's more fortified. It's it's much more equipped than Winterfell. Yeah. Um, you're even fucking you're on Greyjoy. You know, have him show up with this fleet and provide like naval support, or maybe like dock behind the undead and like attack from the rear or something, flanking them. You know, mm-hmm. whatever. It's all it's all hands on deck at this yeah. point. Um, Night King reinforces his army again with the freshly killed on the battlefield. So it's like, just as you think, like they're getting the upper hand, he's like, nope, time to raise the dead, you know, and like bring his army back to a uh, full capacity. White Walkers are still, they eventually breach and they just start wrecking fools within King's Landing. Um, ground forces retreat to the Red Keep. John and Daenerys mount on a uh, Rhaegal and Drogon. This gives them the reason to torch the city because there's just undead everywhere. So that's why they're destroying the city. So I'm, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to kind of, I'm not completely erasing everything that happened on the show, but I'm trying to just do it in a Give way that more makes purpose. more sense. Yeah. yeah. So is there going to be a big aerial fight? So not anymore because the Night King doesn't have Viserion anymore. Okay. Viserion died at Winterfell. Right about this time, the Night King is looking like a complete badass, walking through fire, you know, because the whole town is torched. He's effortlessly mowing down anyone in his way. Cersei ignites the rest of the wildfire to, like, in a desperate attempt to get rid of the undead. You know, it, it takes out a lot of the undead, but the White Walkers also seem impervious to the wildfire as well. Ooh. And the undead breach the Red Keep. Uh, and this is where we have a cool shot, as I envision it, with Sandor and Gregor Clegane inadvertently fighting alongside one another uh-huh. to, like take out the undead night king is still coming for brand's ass you know who's inside the castle has everybody been equipped with dragon glass or valerian steel i'm sure they would have yeah okay so everyone everyone would have been like trying to do what they can right um with whatever supplies that they had i don't i don't know if they would have had enough time to like go back to dragonstone and like mine some more but they would have had well, a few. it was pretty close it's only you know like a five minute dragon right away so yeah <laughs> and um john lands uh he he was still on Rhaegal at this point. So he lands and chases the, the White Walkers inside the the castle because now the White Walkers and the Night King are like inside the castle of the Red Keep. This is where maybe we would have like John, Tormund, Bran, Jamie, 
the hound and the mountain, like basically like all the fighters, they would have all been here. And uh, this is where we go toe to toe with the White Walkers. So I would have like maybe like three separate battles break off, like but all happening at, at the same time. But like within the castle, we would have had like John and Tormund take on one White Walker. Uh, the Cleganes could take on one and then Brian and Jamie could take on an, the last one, right? And then John is able to kill the first White Walker with Longclaw, you know, like how he did in Hardhome. Uh, Bran is able to kill one with Oathkeeper. And then the Cleganes are struggling because they don't have Valyrian Steel or Dragonglass or anything. So Arya actually shows up. She does the whole like Night King thing in my story. So this is where she's like getting choked out, drops the dagger and uh, Shanks that fool. Nice. So she so still that, gets her moment. Yeah, she still gets her moment. I want everyone to have their moment. And then so the the Night King is still pursuing Bran. And, uh, you know, he the, the White Walkers are essentially just kind of like buying time for the Night King to get to Bran. And so the Night King finally catches up with Bran and Theon's there guarding him, just like the show. And it appears, but, you know, obviously now we're in King's Landing. It appears that Theon is going to have to face the Night King alone until Jon and Tormund show up because they were just the closest, I guess, where they killed the White Walker. They're the closest to where the the, the Night King was. And um, the Night King busts out some Darth Maul shit as he single-handedly takes on all three heroes, Theon, Tormund, and Jon. Because I want the Night King to just be badass, like unstoppable, essentially. So Theon is killed at some point during this fight. I would have made it so Theon had at least a little bit more face time and he didn't go out like, like such a wimp, yeah. you know? He would at least got to like fight the Night King for a bit. Tormund gets knocked out and Jon ultimately somehow gets the final blow with Longclaw. Undead army is stopped at the very end. So this is like when all hope is lost, Jon somehow is able to stop them just before he gets to Bran. Right. And then uh, Tormund carries Theon outside the castle so that they can find someone to help him because, you know, he's bleeding out or whatever, and he's, or he's, like, basically just died, and they're, like, hoping that they can save him. Um, Daenerys lands to get the news that they defeated the undead, and they won. But then, out of nowhere, Cersei orders her gold cloaks to attack the remaining exhausted heroes. So she planned this the whole time. She knew that if they survived, she was going to still get one up on everyone by turning on them when they Dang. least expect it. So the mountain stabs the hound in the back with the cheap shot. Daenerys quickly mounts Drogon to get airborne. Rhaegal is flying closely behind. But just as they like get over the walls of the Red Keep, Euron has a scorpion take out Rhaegal, just like the show. Well-timed scorpion shot. Um, and this, for me, is where Daenerys loses her shit. This is where she just fucking snaps, starts killing everything, starting with the Greyjoy fleet. Then the the few scorpions on the Red Keep, then the castle itself. Um, Jamie finally realizes how much of a monster Cersei is and decides that uh, he has to be the one to kill her. Like he's gonna, he, there's no one that could get close enough. So he tries to convince Cersei. You know, he he like works his way and he tries to convince Cersei that he still loves her and that he's on her side. But then tries to ultimately like he starts like getting ready to kill her, and then the mountain ends up defending Cersei and fatally stabs Jamie. Cersei is torn up by this, of course, but she flees with Kyburn through a secret tunnel. Brienne shows up. She fights her way through the the Queen's Guard and sees that Gregor Clegane killed Jaime. So then she attempts to defend his honor by fighting the mountain herself. She puts up a little bit of a fight, but then the mountain is a bit too much for her. And just as he's about to kill her, the Hound shows back up because this fool just refuses to die. And he's just like, let's fucking go. So... As the castle's beginning to crumble, Sandor orders Brienne to get out. And then 
the game bowl happens. Both brothers end up dying in a similar fashion on the show. Dang. Now we're in the dungeon. Kyburn leads Cersei uh, with a couple of the Queen's Guard down into the dungeons where Kyburn tells them to escape through the, the passageway that leads down to Blackwater Bay or whatever. But it's been blocked off with rubble, right? Similar. Right. And then... Kyburn slays the two members of the Queen's Guard, leaving a confused Cersei by herself. Arya reveals herself what? to Cersei before slicing her throat. You know, getting revenge. Like, what's up, bitch? So I didn't see that coming. <laughs> then Winter came for House Lannister. You know, and then the dungeon caves in on Arya. That's a, an even better Arya moment. Oh yeah, I I wanted Jon to be the one to kill the Night King, and I wanted Arya to to kill Cersei. So that's just yeah. how I had it planned out. So do you have Daenerys survive or did, did she go down with Scorpion? No, right? So, so we're getting to that. We're getting to that. So she's still like destroying the, the, the castle from above. Right. And then word gets out that Cersei's dead. Daenerys reveals her plans to liberate the world. Similar to the show. Jon begins to see that there may be no end to the fighting until the, the world is covered in fire and blood. Daenerys now sits on the Iron Throne as an unrecognizable person, darker in tone, mad with bloodlust. Jon begs her to stop as as they've won already. Like there's nothing left to do. And she, you know, she's captured the Iron Throne, the Lannisters are defeated. But Daenerys chooses not to listen to him. And now Grey Worm is kind of on edge now, you know, kind of similar to, you know, how he was portrayed in the, the final moments as well. Jon being his noble yet idiotic self says that he's like, he can't sit idle and allow this madness to continue. So that triggers Daenerys because, you know, she's she's being called crazy again, something that's been held over her head this whole, her whole life. Uh, basically tells Jon that, you know, some, something along the lines of if he's not with her, then he's against her and orders Grey Worm to stop the traitor. Dang. And so Jon reluctantly fights Grey Worm as Grey Worm and Daenerys have now become the monsters they swore to eliminate. John disarms Grey Worm and holds a sword to his throat as he desperately pleads with Daenerys that this isn't her and, you know, the whole, like, this isn't the woman I fell in love with. I know she's in there somewhere, blah, blah, blah. Grey Worm is able to, as he's distracted, knock the sword away and lands a dagger to the ribs that he had hidden before John kills him in self-defense. And then Daenerys finally snaps out of it, like, seeing John like, you know, fatally wounded is finally what, like, snaps her out of, like, this weird craziness that she's been in. And she starts to see the air in her ways. Daenerys and Jon share one last kiss before dying in, in her arms. Reverse of how it w- went on the show. So now instead of Jon holding Daenerys, Daenerys is holding Jon as he's dying. And since she lost so much in her life and and her heart's been broken so many times, she realizes that it can't all be for nothing. Daenerys now has the opportunity to actually prove everyone wrong by not being crazy, you know, not being the the stereotypical crazy Targaryen, having the freedom to rule the Iron Throne as she always intended to, and not let the people uh, she loved die in vain. And Tyrion will remain as Hand of the King. Bran is now an advisor instead of the king. He's the advisor. Um, that would make more sense. Sam doesn't accept the role of Maester as he's still upset about Daenerys uh, for killing his dad and his, his brother. Mm-hmm. So he's just going to go back to Horn Hill and, and be the house, the head of House Tarly. Brienne is going to be the head of the Queen's Guard and King's Landing begins to rebuild. And uh, since Daenerys cannot have children as well as Bran, you know, um, this breaks the, the proverbial wheel as her eventual successor will be voted on by all of the kingdoms together. And then Sansa 
Queen of the North. She's still independent, still doesn't like Daenerys and grieves at the news of Jon's death. The show ends with an unknown man hires a sailor to sail west of Westeros, handing him a bag of gold, essentially overpaying him. Delighted yet suspicious, he asks, who are you? And the unknown person replies back with a smirk, no one. It is then revealed that this man is carrying needle as they set out into the open ocean. End of series. Dang. Do you know who that was at the end? Obviously, it's Arya. <laughs> Even though like the building collapsed, uh, the dungeon collapsed on Arya after she killed Cersei, I would have wanted to like keep her alive and then yeah. still produce that spinoff. That's cool. Yeah, I, th- I feel like that, that was that was better. All of it would have worked. Except for the fact that Daenerys is crazy from the start, <laughs> so she can't just she can't just snap out of that. A lot of people, yeah, would have would have fought me for that one because they probably would have been like, "Nah, Daenerys is crazy." <laughs> There's no coming back from that. That is a wrap, folks. If you made it to the end of our podcast, then you won yourselves a free Dragonflight boarding pass on Air Drogon. Nice. That's a five minute flight right there across the whole continent. Whether he actually allows you to ride is another story, though. <laughs> Any uh, final thoughts or closing comments? That that was quite the undertaking, as I mentioned at the beginning, and we yes. survived. Somehow, yeah, we got it done. Um, did you have any favorite characters in the show? Like for me, of course, I mentioned Egret. Um, I, yeah. I also liked Beric Dondarrion. As, to me, he was just gangster. He had a cool look with the eye patch. He had the flame yeah. sword, and, and he died. True. And kept, you know, he died, was resurrected several times, and kept fighting. Yeah. I also liked Tormund, Giant's Bane. He's just a likable person. Yeah, and him, him, uh, his little thing with Brienne was hilarious. With Brienne, which I was, I was kind of sad that that never happened. But right, it's all about Littlefinger. Just kidding. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, I think my, you know, mine's more predictable. I really like Tyrion. Of course, yeah. And How could you not? I liked Arya mostly. Like I like, you know, I liked how much she grew, but you know, in the end, I feel like her role was did not have a lot of purpose. But see, if she was the one to kill Cersei, that would have been dope. That would have been nice, yeah. That would have been great. That would have been a nice little swerve. I wanted to throw one last one out at the audience. Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, yeah, you have a lot more of her, you know, doing disguises and surprise, you're dead. Surprise, motherfucker. That's right. But, you know, I just had so much fun revisiting Game of Thrones. And, and yeah, I, I hope that I was... we, we did justice to the, this awesome series. I, I hope so, yeah. I definitely um, did not get a chance to rewatch, as I mentioned. But this, uh, you know, revisiting it like this has made me want to rewatch it. So I think, you know, when I have downtime at work and I'm not doing much of anything, that that's what I'm going to be rewatching next. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Well, it's kind of weird, too, which kind of fits into us doing the podcast was I started up Call of Duty Infinite Warfare you know, just chipping away at my out of control backlog. It's like a five or six year old game, honestly. Yeah. And I totally forgot that Kit Harrington was the main villain in the game. In the main villain, that's hilarious. yeah. He's the main villain. I because I'm like running into Jon Snow again on the screen. That's how I felt recently watching Eternals. <laughs> I was like, we got Rob Stark and Jon Snow and Jon. I get to see them side by side. This has been Affliction Isles Podcast, Episode Ten: Game of Thrones. Thanks again for joining us, and we will see you next time. Yeah, Valamagulus. Yeah.